0: We're in the House of Salmons, here to save the day. Vamps and zombies, ghosts and werewolves make them go away. Let's talk about your favorite movies, have some laughs and fun. Then when you're scared of deep dark shadows, you won't need to run. Morning is coming, there's nothing more to fear. You can come out to play. Brian and Jamie, remember, are always here. And that's
1: all there is to say.
0: Hello, horror fans. Welcome to, I believe it's episode eight. Can you believe that I think I may have messed up already? (laughs) Yeah, We're eight episodes in. I might have skipped six. I'm going to have to go back and check. But I believe this is eight. And uh, it's season three. Yes. That b- bustin' I loose! I know, we are bustin' loose. And uh, I am Jamie, and with me as always is Brian. Hello! <laughs> and we are recording on this lovely... Uh, hot day that looks like it's overcast, but it's really mostly smoke from Canada, so... Yeah, Canada, thanks, get your guys. shit together!
1: <laughs> no, just kidding. I never having a hell of a time with the fires. I hope they get it under control soon.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad, and unfortunately, there's a lot of wilderness up there. Yeah, that can burn. And but yeah. I always
1: thought Canada was all snow covered. Why didn't?
0: <laughs> I don't think that's the case. In don't June. they all live in igloos or something? <laughs> uh, yeah, now they're using those underground tunnels to escape the smoke because yeah. <laughs> it's bad out there. But I do wish you the best, my Canadian friends.
1: And today is no joke. Canada Day.
0: Is it really? It is. Oh, how about that? It is July 1st. Yeah. And uh, in just a few days, we'll have Independence Day. Yeah. So, big weekend. So,
1: happy Canadian Day, my Canadian brothers and sisters, and happy 4th of July, my American brothers and sisters. There you go.
0: On this episode, we will be discussing a couple of Jim Mickle films, so that's going to be coming up. But for now, we're going to get into our correspondence. First up, we have a message on Patreon from Melissa Verbal. Thank you, Verbal Cat. Thank you. And she says, loud hurrah for Albert Ingalls.
1: Yay. Somebody else (laughs) with too much time on her hands.
0: (laughs) The episode where his horrible father returned to collect him had me wishing Charles would shoot the bad dad in the alley. But the solution was good. Nyah, 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 to Brian. Hope y'all are doing well. <laughs> and that nya 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 is because Brian said no one else would give a shit about Albert Ingalls. And I said, I know damn well there's at least one person out there who's much you as found do.
1: the one person.
0: <laughs> but thank you, Melissa, for backing me up. I appreciate that. Okay, we have a couple of comments also from Nicole, and this is on our werewolf episode. She says how did I miss this episode? Like Jamie, I adore werewolf movies, even the not so great ones. I do wish Hollywood would put out some good ones, but I usually have fun but I usually have fun with them. Viking Wolf was the most recent I've watched. Me too. And I well, as far as new. And I liked it, but it did disappoint me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love the underworld movies too as silly as they are. And they are. Me too. Very <laughs> silly. And I agree that the werewolf story and trick or treat is my favorite segment. Yeah. Yay! It was <laughs> nice to see Ware and Bad Moon get some love. Nice! Yes, thank you. Uh, I think both are great. I love Silver Bullet more than most people. So do I. I think one movie I don't remember you guys mentioning that I love is Frankenstein versus The Wolfman Uh, you are correct we did not mention that one but that's a good one Uh, my ranking I do love a list if you couldn't tell and we can tell and I love that you love it because so do we and so she ranks her films starting with 10 Howl The Wolfman, Bad Moon Where, Ginger Snaps Cursed And I'm assuming that's the new Cursed, not the West Craven Cursed, but I don't know. Uh, Silver Bullet, Dog Soldiers, The Howling, and An American Werewolf in London. Very nice. I still love you, Nicole, even if you put The Howling as your number two. Well, that is the
1: correct order, so (laughs) good on her.
0: And to answer Brian's question, the movie was Alien. My daughter was talking to her friend about horror when he said he had he hated practical effects because it looks quote cheesy and fake so Uh my girl says quote I'm going to introduce you to a movie called Alien suffice to say he was blown away by it and I was so proud of my daughter
1: good on her and good on you for raising her up right
0: yeah you should be proud of her for that that was a really she did a really good job Mm-hmm. Good on her bringing some more into the fold. Okay, so from Patreon, we will move to Facebook. We have a comment from Stephen Scott on the last episode. He says, I remember seeing The Believers once a long time ago when it first came out. I do remember liking it, so I better rewatch it. I've never <laughs> I've never seen Lords of Salem because I have seen several Rob Zombie movies and none of them were very good.
1: I can relate.
0: <laughs> in fact, I thought they were terrible.
1: <laughs> um I totally get where you're coming, but I would say try Lords of Salem. It is a bit different. I don't get me wrong, it has a bunch of Rob Zombie isms in it but I do think he was stepping a little bit outside of his comfort zone. Uh, he was trying to do a few new things, and I don't know. It just It's not like his same old, same old. So who knows? You'll maybe like it more.
0: Kate actually left a voice message regarding the bumps segment of the last episode where we did the reaction to the Dungeons & Dragons 60 Minutes thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, her takeaway was basically... If you are equating teenage suicide, which of course is always tragic, to people who play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, her question was basically, you know, I could be wrong here, but aren't they usually fringe kids anyway who may have difficulty? in life, as far as blending in, having friends, being bullied, things like that. And I'm like, yeah, particularly in the 80s. Yeah. Not so much now, it's much more mainstream. Nowadays it's much more mainstream and cool to do it.
1: Hell, you got like Vin Diesel and all these various actors coming out and go I play D&D all the time. Back then it was very much a keep it under wraps kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think a, a lot of the kids that did play were the outsider kids, yeah. you know, who weren't very popular, who didn't have a lot of friends, who had a lot of social issues and possibly some issues at home that, you know, could push them in that direction.
1: Well, that was my whole point. If these kids are killing themselves, I think they have bigger problems, more underlying problems than a role-playing game. I think you have to look deeper into what's causing them to do this than, oh, they played D&D and they were summoning, summoning D&D demons into their bedrooms and just crazy fucking bullshit like that.
0: Uh, we also got a message from Stephen regarding the religious conversation we had. I believe that was during
1: the D&D the, episode?
0: Or? No, I think it was during the Believer's Oh, that would make sense. Or it too. could have been Lords of Salem, but what, you know, it would have fit in any of those, to be honest. There are some personal stuff in the beginning that I don't know if he'd want me to share, so I won't. But he goes on to say, the problem is that most people use religion as a form of power over others instead yes. of being a servant to others. That's what led to monstrosities like the Inquisition and the Salem Witch Trials. That leads to my second point of the moronic 60 Minutes expose on Dungeons and Dragons. I forget which one of you pointed this out, but 60 Minutes did the special, for one reason, ratings. Yeah. This is yellow journalism or sensationalism at its worst, as it just puts fuel on the fire. Yeah. I think 2020 on ABC did something similar. I'm sure they did. Your commentary reminded me of other moral panics against Pokemon cards. Yep. uh, Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys are aware, but apparently it's a big thing that Pokemon cards are satanic, which just cracks me up to no end. Yeah, I was never...
1: uh, Pokemon cards passed me by, or I was a bit old when they came out, so I never was into them. But yeah, I know a lot of dipshits (laughs) are all... You know, a buzz about how satanic and he... Hey, did you know Pokemon means pocket monsters?
0: <gasps> yeah, no shit. I thought they were just talking about their dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Gigi, who is a YouTuber we watch regularly, did a little bit of a... Uh, he kind of dug into the whole Pokemon Satanism yeah, thing. And, it was really good, too. yeah. Uh, Harry Potter books Oh yeah, I remember that Oh man, and that happened in Georgia Specifically Georgia? Well, it. I don't, it's not the only place no, where it cause... happened, but it did happen there Well, of course it did And an often forgotten moral panic of war against comic books
1: Oh, I remember that In the early 1950s No, I should say, I don't remember that because I wasn't there but I am aware of that.
0: Yeah, actually, and I guess it didn't make it to the show, but I know we recent, you and I were having a conversation about that not too long ago, and I guess it um, it probably was just a conversation we were having, not while we were recording. But. Well, I actually
1: uh, wrote a story about it called The End of the Golden Age, which takes place in the 50s and deals with comic books and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I am very much aware of it, and you are correct. That was another moral panic bullshit uh, dreamt up by a total fraud who didn't know what the hell he was talking about, but It made him a whole lot of money, so he was continuing to talk about it.
0: Yeah, in the early 1950s, uh, Fred Wortham wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which put the blame of all youth problems on comic books. Mm -hmm. Some city councils, like Oklahoma City and Houston, passed bans on horror and and crime comics. They also organized comic burnings. The scare even triggered a Senate investigation in 1954, which led to the Comics Code Authority, like the Hayes Code for movies. So much sensationalism and paranoia is nothing new. I'm looking forward to your next podcast. Well, thank you. And yes, unfortunately, it's not. And Brian and I, those are the kind of, those are actually the kind of conversations we have all the time. Because we watch a lot of documentaries and things like that, which then lead to very lengthy conversations about everything from religion to space. And that's one thing I really love about you is we have some great conversations, but we do talk a lot about how it's kind of mostly scary, kind of amazing how in all of the years of human existence, we really haven't changed. No. We're
1: still the same scared little animal we always were, just we have better toys now. But at our heart, humanity is still the same. Still looking to point a finger at others, still looking to control others, still, I mean, oh, don't get me started.
0: (laughs) And it's true. And uh, the comment that Stephen made about religion being used for control. Mm-hmm. Now, and Stephen is a is a religious person. I don't think he would mind me saying that much. Yeah. So he's not saying, um, that's not an indictment on religion on the whole. And I actually don't make indictments on religion no. on the whole. I think a very a, a lot of really good people are religious people. And as long as you keep using that for good, I don't have I, I don't mind. I mean, I'm not saying that anyone is wrong or stupid for being religious that's not my take um, No, I... it's just simply that I'm not
1: my mother is very religious, she always has been but she's always been the best kind of religious in my book where she keeps it to herself when religion starts getting out of fucking hand is when they decide that they know better than everybody else and unless you follow their beliefs you are wrong and not even that, not even just, hey, you're wrong, you're going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to be laughing at you from the clouds, which a lot of them do think that, but no, they feel that it's their need, you know, they have to fix you, they have to change you, you have to see the world as they see the world, or you are not only actively wrong, but you are part of the problem.
0: Yeah, I used to be very religious. Even then, as far as I was concerned, what people did with their own lives is between them and God. And yeah. it was not my business to judge what anybody else did. So I didn't. And then when it, when it really started to irk me was when you know people within the church would outright say, you know, homosexuals are going to hell. And I'm like, that's not your judgment call.
1: Yeah. I and mean, the world sucks enough as it is. It is a hard enough place. Let people be happy however they want to be. As long as not hurting others. Go do you. Be happy. Just get off it, people.
0: But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> didn't mean to get that deep. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a comment from Nicole.
1: You gotta love Nicole and Steven. There are always multiple comments. <laughs> uh, Don't change. I do actually love that.
0: Oh, well, actually, before that, uh, Debbie, who is another frequent commenter, says, uh, Lords of Salem, my favorite Rob Zombie movie. Nice. Yay, me too. And I think, uh, honestly, I've seen a lot of people say that. (gasps) And I think maybe it's that he, it is very different from his other stuff. It's
1: not this. I mean, I do think that about the uh, Devil's Rejects as well. I do really like that movie. I think he was trying, he was still keeping it attached to some of the other stuff. But it wasn't just a carbon copy of
0: it. Well, yeah, I think he took the characters that that he created in House of a Thousand Corpses and improved them. Yes. And Devil's Rejects, I adore. And until Lords of Salem came out, it was my favorite. And even now, they're kind of neck and neck. I just really prefer Lords of Salem because I think it's visually stunning. It is. Beck Penley, hi Beck, says... Hello. Woohoo, going to be listening to this tomorrow afternoon. Well, I hope you did, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Sean Klump says, The scene with the mother in The Believers traumatized me as a child. Oh, yeah, that... And it's kind of horrifying, so I can understand why. That's got to be the coffee pot scene. Yeah. I can imagine seeing that as a child, and how that would be traumatizing. Uh, Nicole says... I haven't seen The Believer since I was a kid, so I decided to re-watch it. It's a really good Santeria movie. I'm glad I revisited it. Yay! So, good on you. Lords of Salem is one I hadn't seen. I'm not really a fan of Rob Zombie movies. Can't blame you. I like House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. I hated his Halloween movies. Yes. And I tried watching Three from Hell, even though I knew they would ruin Devil's re- a Devil's Perfect Ending. Yes. And I was right. I thought it was awful. So, so I re- did I. So I refused to watch any more. But I decided to give Lords of Salem a chance because you guys were reviewing it and I trust your tastes. Aww. Aww. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I admit, I was pleasantly surprised. Good. I think it's his best movie. I wasn't, it wasn't groundbreaking, but had a good story. Yeah. Also, a lot of good actors. Even Sherry didn't annoy me. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was her best role. Me too. And that's what you said too. I'll definitely watch it again. Thank you for choosing this movie. I probably never would have watched it.
1: That's awesome. That's like the best kind of response.
0: Absolutely.
1: Somebody's not aware of a movie or they're aware of it, but they have no desire to see it, no reason, or just even actively avoiding it. And we get them to watch it, and they like it. That is awesome. Thank you so much for the feedback. Everybody.
0: Oh, yeah. As always, we love your feedback. I appreciate it. And, yeah, look forward to it. Yes. I, I love talking to our listeners mm-hmm. and getting to know them and, you know, becoming friends with them. That's the whole reason I had... Years ago, when I first started podcasting, which... My God, it was... Fifteen years ago. Yeah, you're old, baby. <laughs> when I first started podcasting, the whole reason I wanted to do it was to develop a conversation with people who loved horror as much as I did, and to become rich and famous. That part didn't happen. <laughs> and no, I never thought I would. I was, was going to say, "How's that going for you?" <laughs> back when, uh, back when I started podcasting, there wasn't that wasn't a thing. Yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even on anyone's radar that you could make money podcasting. That's how come,
1: well, that's how I first met you, is through the podcast, but that's also why back in the day podcasts were the only thing I would cover in reviews and articles and such. Basically for free. In other words, you didn't have to send me the, you know, if if a DVD company wants me to cover a DVD, they gotta send me that DVD for me to review and such. But podcasters, I always did that just because they did the podcasting thing for like the love of the game.
2: Yeah. 100%. You know back then
1: there, nobody was getting anything from it. Nowadays everybody podcasts and most people, you know, make money off it and all that stuff. But Back then, it was strictly for the love of the game, for the love of horror, mm-hmm. and so I tried to give a little bit back, and so I would write articles, and I always had like a summer of fear where I would list my favorite podcasts, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I started doing it, and why I kept doing it, and we do have a Patreon now, but, I mean, hell, I was... 12 years in before that even became a thing and even then it's an optional thing Mm -hmm. you know it's not yeah
1: if you can support us and you like to support us and you like to get more of us join patreon you get bonus shows all the time i think officially we're supposed to do like one per month Uh bonus show a month but i don't think we've ever done just one per
0: month well we did last month um there have been a couple months where we really? did only one but really very few Um usually we have a lot coming out and the only reason we only had one last month was just because there was a lot of other stuff going yeah. on the whole reason that our show our last show was just delayed so yeah. you know it's just but even then even then I got that one out for the month because you know I promised the patrons yeah. and it's only $2, but that's $2 that people give us for extra content. And if I tell them I'm going to give them extra content, I'm going yeah. to give them extra content.
1: So, but the thing I was trying to say is that's nice if you want to do that. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. But just you listening, and specifically for me and probably for you too, the feedback, you know, yeah. the conversations we can get into, that's mainly why we're here. That's what we enjoy most about this. Yeah. So as long as you like the show, thank you for listening.
0: Yeah, that's all I really, really want is people to get engaged and talk about things. And even if you're just a lurker, even if you have been listening to maybe you've been listening to me for 15 years and you've never said a word.
1: You are rather intimidating. (laughs)
0: Right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're out there, and that means everything to me. So, if you decide you do want to be a patron, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I love you for that. But if you don't want to or just can't, that's okay too. I, I don't hold that against anyone. I don't, and I don't expect it. It's just, you know.
1: Hey, want to help the show for free? Give us a review somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. If you like the show, just tell others. I And you know, that's something I've never done, is ask people to submit a review. I know. But I know a lot of people don't think about it, but maybe do it. You know, yeah. take a couple seconds the next time you're listening to the show and throw a review there. It's not something I ever push for.
1: <sighs> we are rather lax in that.
0: <laughs> well, and... <laughs> honestly there's kind of a reason yeah i know there's there's an intimacy with the number of people that we have and the ones that we talk to on a regular basis and i kind of like it that way yeah you know but if you do know someone who would enjoy our content feel free to share room
1: for more sure yeah this is a big tent everybody's invited
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, guys, we're going to uh, stop yammering here because this is a long intro. And uh, we're going to be right back with our movie selections.
1: Bumps in a Night
0: It is now time for Bumps in the Night, and we have a list! Yay! This is one I have been sitting on for a while, but finally decided to drag it out. And we are going to be discussing our top ten devils, satans... Cinematic satans. There you go. I like that.
1: I like, Hail Satan!
0: I like an alliterative title. Yay! So yeah, these are our favorite actors who played cinematic satans we're going to be doing a top 10 as usual we will start with 10 go to one back and forth and then at the end uh, we may or may not have some honorable mentions i have one i have a couple okay well starting off with number 10 i have jack nicholson and jack nicholson is the perfect devil but the reason that I have him at number 10 is because it's from The Witches of Eastwick, which is a comedy. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, he's not no. that devilish. It's a good movie.
1: I do like it, you know, for being a chick flick comedy, which it is. And I think he does a really good job. He's very entertaining as the devil. I Especially, like, in most of these, at least most of the ones I have, they always give the devil, at the end... A big monologue or a big rant or something. They give him the opportunity to say his fill. And they do that in uh, Witches of Eastwick. And mm-hmm. I think it's entertaining when he's going off about women and you know, that was God's great mistake
0: and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I do really like that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a it's, long
1: time. Yeah, I haven't seen it in forever, but I've always I mean, that was another one. I watched a bunch on... Uh, HBO, cable back yeah. in the day, yeah.
0: Okay, what's your number 10? My number
1: 10 is David Warner, who played evil in The Time Bandits.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. And um, I didn't even think of that, but that's a good one. Mainly because it's David fucking Warner. I Show that him. man
1: some respect.
0: Thank you. Nobody ever talks about him.
1: Oh, he's a badass. He always brings class to whatever the hell he's in. I think he plays a great, I mean, they never call him Satan, but he is evil. It's clear he's going up against God, so yeah, he is the devil. They just don't call him that. This is a comedy, first and foremost. A bit of adventure film, too, uh, from Terry Gilliam about traveling through time and all the wacky adventures and the devil wanting the time map that a bunch of little people stole from God, because that's a thing. So, I mean, it's very much tongue-in-cheek, but he is just awesome as the devil. Or, in this case, evil.
0: evil. That's a good one. Okay, well, my number nine. We have Jeff Goldblum from Mr. Frost. As much as I was slightly let down by that, I fucking love Jeff Goldblum, but that's why it's at number nine. I think it could have been a little better, but I really don't think Jeff Goldblum can do any wrong, so...
1: Honestly, I totally forgot about that. That's a good call. I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. I don't think
0: I have either, to be honest, uh, but I just remember him. Yeah, it wasn't widely
1: released. Uh, I don't know if they have a disc of it. I remember looking for it, a copy of it on DVD or such and not being able to find it or whatever. Uh, Last time I saw it was back in the VHS days. And yeah, he is cool and creepy as hell in it. Yeah. That is a very good pick. Good on you. And I totally blanked on it, but yeah, I would have to watch it again before I could really comment on it other than I remember I liked the movie but that's all I remember from
0: it. No I liked it I just didn't like it's not a 5 for me or at least it wasn't back then. I should but Jeff Goldblum always is and unfortunately I'm pretty sure it did very poorly and oh yeah, that may be why it hasn't had like a big release or anything if it hasn't I don't know I haven't looked for it in a while but yeah, we should see if we can find yeah. it and watch it again.
1: No, that was a very good pick. That was a deep cut. Good on you. My next one is a bit off kilter, but hey, so am I. So it's Black Phillip from The Witch.
0: Oh man! I uh, dang it.
1: You should have done it.
0: <laughs> I know. I wanted to so bad, but I was like, well, eh, you barely see him in it, but.
1: Yeah, I don't know who the actor is who played the voice.
0: It's Daniel Malick. And I actually... He's my honorable mention. Because... Okay.
1: Fuck me.
0: That but, scene is so hot.
1: <laughs> yeah, it gets my nipples hard. <laughs> but no, I think is a very good devil. I mean, from what we can see. And I mean, honestly, you shouldn't see the devil, I don't think. It's one of those things that should be best left into your imagination and your mind. Because it's the fucking devil. He can look and... He could do whatever he wants. So I like that he starts off as a little black goat and then he shows up at the end, and you really don't know is he really there or is Thomasina just off her nut after having her whole family wiped out and possibly munching on a bunch of ergot? Does thou want to live deliciously? And he's tempting a woman to sell her soul with butter. Yeah. That's
0: Awesome! Wouldst thou like the taste of butter?
1: So, yeah. Black Phillip and, of course, the human actor who played the voice is my number nine.
0: Yeah, you know, and (laughs) I should preface this by saying, I guess, um, I did say yes. I said that was hot. And it is. And I have a thing. I have a thing for Satan in movies. (laughs)
1: Well now I know why you were attracted to me yeah
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is but there the, the thing is he's a
1: bad boy so he often comes off as mysterious and sexy and a bit
0: dangerous and but, charming yeah he's always so charming and yeah it's very alluring. So, whenever people play him in films, and you'll see this throughout yeah. our list, it's going to come up over and over again that they're very charming and alluring and often sexy. So, my number eight is Clarence Williams III from
1: Tales from the Hood.
0: Tales from the Hood. Yep. Yeah, I love it because you don't really know who he is till the end of the movie. Yeah, and uh, you know all you know is that he's got the shit. <laughs>
1: oh yes, the, the.
0: shit. <laughs> but I love how he chews the yeah. shit out of that scenery and and his delivery is just so purposeful. Uh, it's just it's great. He has a lot of character.
1: Okay, my number eight would be. The jar of green goo. I knew it. From John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. I knew it. But that doesn't
0: even have a character.
1: Yes, it does. It is Satan. (sighs) I love that simply for the idea behind it. The way that they took Satan and did something totally different with him. Everybody else here is doing riffs of the same thing. Like you said charming a little bit devilish obviously suave there's a lot of humor in here but there's you know darkness and stuff like that but this was we're gonna totally reinvent the devil and make him totally different than you would ever expect him to be and give him a father who's even worse and more powerful than he is that is awesome That is just one of the many reasons why I love that movie to death. It is one of the lesser sung Carpenter films. And I don't get that because it is just an amazing movie. And yeah, the green goo rocks.
0: I think it's honestly, I I think it's not all that accessible to people. And I don't mean like they can't find it. I mean that they don't get it that I think it it's a little out there I get for that for a lot of people
1: I yeah but but I love it I love that movie to fucking death
0: my number seven and I wasn't going to go here but this was back when I thought all, all my choices were gonna be from straight up horror films and then I realized no there were some really good devils in movies that aren't horror films yeah and so uh, this is Tim Curry as Darkness from Legend yes And even though he's not straight up Satan, that was another reason he wasn't going to be on the list. But, I mean. He is darkness. Yeah. So, I mean. He's a big
1: red guy with huge ass horns and cloven hooves. I say that counts.
0: Well, it's going to count whether it does or not because Tim Curry is amazing in that role. Well,
1: yes. He is awesome. And also, so is the makeup. Oh yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, just just one little thing from that. Him walking around with those giant ass horns. That was such a pain in the ass to do cuz you don't realize how heavy they are until you put them on and you have to walk around and try not to break your damn neck every 5 seconds. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was amazing. Okay, where are we? 7? Yes. My number seven is, and I know he's going to be on your list, and I know he's going to be higher, because I know how moist he makes you. (laughs) He does not have that effect on me, and the movie he's in is not honestly all that great, but I do like him in this part. And again, he has a great monologue roughly in the middle, where he gets to, you know, bitch out God and, you know, try to pretend like, I'm not such a bad guy! And that's Gabriel Byrne, who played the man, that's what he's credited as, in End of Days, the Schwarzenegger movie.
0: I knew that was coming. The movie's okay, I don't
1: love it, but I I can enjoy watching it, but I think he is a very fun Satan. Yeah, he's very suave, I assume, I suppose he's very sexy, I don't know, but he's you know, like dark and mischievous and he has that little bit of humor to him, but, you know, on a turn of a dime, he can get really menacing and scary, too. So,
0: yeah. Well, good on you.
1: But I know he's going to be on your list and he's going to be higher.
0: I'm not saying. And... He may or may not be. Oh, he is. He is. Uh, my number six, though, is Max Von Sydow from Needful Things.
1: Max Von Sydow, who played Leland Gaunt from Needful Things, is also my number six.
0: Oh, wow. Look at that. All right. Yeah, I love him in that. Oh, yeah. I really like that movie. Yeah. People don't really talk about it as much as some of the other Stephen King adaptations. If I
1: remember correctly, it is a bit overlong, because it is based off a Stephen King book, which are usually overlong as well and so it also has a ton of characters because everybody is messing with everybody else and you know he turns the whole town on itself and but just he is so much fun. They never call him the devil per se. He could just be a demon or an agent of chaos or whatever but he's basically the devil and yeah he comes in with his cursed little trinkets that you know, you have to do something naughty to get, and then it, it's just the whole idea of the devil's bargain. You know, if you bargain with the devil, you're going to get fucked. You're going to think like, oh, I need this, and oh, I'm getting a deal, but no, it's always going to come around to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. And essentially, that is the essence of that story.
0: Yeah, but i it's one of my favorite Stephen King books.
1: Not mine, because I always hated the ending, which, I know, big surprise of Stephen King, I know, ha ha ha. But the ending basically comes down to the power of love defeats the devil.
0: Well, I mean, he is a big proponent of the power of love. Yeah, but it's so cheesy. But there's that scene where the two neighbor ladies start going at each other. And he refers to one of them who's like beating the other one with an umbrella as a Mad Mary Poppins. (laughs) And that just stuck with me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, I I mean, of Max von Sydow. Come on, it's Max von Sydow. The guy's a badass.
0: I mean, how about that? He um, played Father Marin in The Exorcist. And he played this evil character in Needful Things. Yeah. Kind of like Gabriel Byrne did. Yeah. He's played a priest and the devil. But, yeah,
1: he's another one of those fun and funny devils. He's very mischievous he really seems to enjoy his work, and that makes him so goddamn charming.
0: Yeah. Well, from here on, I feel like we're going to have a lot of similarities. Maybe. I'm curious to see the orders that they're in. Okay. But uh, we'll go to my number five, which is Vigo Mortensen from The Prophecy. Vigo Mortensen, who played
1: Lucifer from The Prophecy, is my number five as well.
0: <laughs> I knew it. I knew it.
1: And the only reason he's that low on the list, you know, number five ain't low, but comparatively, is because he doesn't have a lot of screen
0: time. Yeah, he unfortunately... He shows
1: up at the end for like three minutes, if that.
0: Yeah, it's very unfortunate, but he's so good for the time that he's in it.
1: I will lay you out and fill your mouth with your mother's feces.
0: I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And he's just sitting there
1: he's doing that perch sit that all the angels do in that movie and stuff and, come with me, I love you. I love you more than Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that was before anybody knew who Vigo Morrison was, for, you know, really. He was still just a character actor at that point. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, he knocked it out of the park, I think. And yeah, I just wish there was more of him in that movie. Sadly, there's not.
0: Alright, uh, next up I have, as my number four, Al Pacino from The Devil's Advocate. Okay. Oh, you don't have Al Pacino from The Devil's Advocate as your number four? No. Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, one is Al Pacino. Yes. And he, even though in later years he's gotten a little,
2: you (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh,
0: I do think that, now i That movie's, what, like 20 years old now? 30 years old now? Uh, wow. Scent of a Woman, I mean. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still referring to that as his later years, and that was decades ago. (laughs) But I'm old. But I think he's perfect in The Devil's Advocate. I think he does an excellent job. And it's a role I feel like he was born to play. Just because he can pull off evil very well.
1: Yeah, think. well, he's another one who, again, does that whole mischievous little, you know, with a, a wink and a smile, he's being a nasty bastard, you mm-hmm. know? He's uh, overseeing all the evil horseshit. he's sending his demons after people, and he has a great monologue at the end, where he really gets to chew the scenery and just be, you know, the devil.
0: Yeah, and he's good at it. Yes,
1: Well, then who's your number four? My number four is Tim Curry, who played darkness in Legend. Yeah, he's not really Satan, but come on, he's a big red guy with horns and hooves, and he's the lord of darkness. He is, in all ways except name, the devil. And he just is so good and so memorable. Every wolf suffers Fleas, Tis easy enough to scratch. And I love his little goblin minions he's sending out. And yeah, he is, he makes that movie. I think Tom Cruise is okay as the hero and his little fairy friends and, you know, dwarf buddies and all that stuff. And also, Robert Picado as Meg Muckbones, the swamp witch Witch troll thing is awesome. But darkness is just amazing in that movie. I basically watched that movie just for him.
0: Oh, he's incredible. And I'm always, every time when I was a kid and I would watch that movie, I would be like, what's your problem? He, (laughs) I mean, he gives you pretty dresses and look at all that. I mean, you know, yeah, he's a big red dude with horns and hooves, but he gives you stuff, yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to kill the unicorns and and plunge world the into world darkness in darkness. And winter. So, yeah, so, so I guess that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. But, <laughs> but uh, all right. Then my number three is Robert De Niro as Louis Cipher in Angel Heart.
1: My number three is Robert De Niro <laughs> as Louis, actually Louis Cipher. Yeah, which I just love that name, Louis <laughs> Cipher. <laughs> it's
0: in like L U Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Nilbog is spells Goblin, <laughs> but uh, yeah, an Angel Heart. He is awesome. I wish there was more of him in that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And even though you kind of know what or who he is, even from the beginning, at least I did, the whole ending when you finally get to understand who Mickey Rourke is and who he's looking for and all that stuff is just awesome. I love how the devil let let it play out. It wasn't enough for him just to come up and fuck with somebody and take them to hell, He had to make sure he remembers everything horrible and nasty that he ever did. And then compound it with when you find out who he's been fucking and what happened
0: to her. What were we just watching that I said would be a good double feature with Angel Heart? Oh, hell. Uh, Because it was someone who had to...
1: Find himself. uh, The Empty Man.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Not at all the same. Nope. But I feel like they have a lot in common. It's
1: another journey of self-discovery where the ending is a punch in the gut. It's why I love the movie The Empty Man so much and why I love Angel Heart. But yeah, uh, the only thing bad with Robert De Niro as Louis is there's not enough of him. But there's enough to make him my number three
0: devil. Okay, now I am really curious. I know what one of them is going to be. One of your one and or two. I just don't know where and I don't know who the other one's going to be. Okay. So, I'm so excited to get them. So wee. <laughs> but I'll go ahead and do my number 2. Okay. My number 2 is Peter Stormare from Constantine. Very nice. Yeah, I love him in that. I mean, again, I don't feel like we get enough of him. You know, he really only shows up in that pool scene at the mm-hmm. end, or whatever that is. And, well, I think he's there for just a few minutes, but...
1: I honestly think, as much as I just said I want more of these people playing the devil, I think the devil really works best when uh, you don't get a lot of them. Because if you got too much, then it would get kind of hammy. And a bit much.
0: Well, because typically when someone's playing the devil, they do get
1: hammy with it. They go know? large. And you can only keep that up for so long.
0: But I think he's fantastic in that. I love him. He, again, has that sense of humor, you know, that bit of mischief in him. You know, he's funny. And, yeah. you know, I like him. I think he's great. Although, I just love Peter Stormer. I really do. Yeah. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor. And he does a lot of fun roles. But yeah, that's probably one of my favorites that he's done. I agree. So who is your number
1: two? Al Pacino as John Milton from The Devil's Advocate. Okay. I like the I name. I had forgotten that you didn't say him yet. I love the name Milton. That's a wink and a nod for yes. anybody who knows Paradise Lost. Like I said, he I think he, out of all the Satans, has the best monologue at the end. I mean, he just rages for, like, five minutes straight. It's scary. Yeah, about how, you know, he's not such a bad guy and how God really is bad. And when Keanu's like, we're going to lose, you know, he's like, well, consider the source. You're getting that from the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And how he has his whole plan laid out and just how he is fun. He is rich. He... Gives you everything you want, and therein lies the hook that he reels you in with.
0: You get to live deliciously. Yeah, exactly. And again, I mean, if you... And if also, you, Charlie Theron. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which is awesome. But, I mean, if you're looking for somebody to go big, there are few people that go as big as, as Pacino. Exactly. And... Again, if you're playing the devil, especially at the end, when you get your big reveal, all bets are off. You're allowed to just chew the fuck out of the scenery, and he does. He was picking splinters out of his gums for, like, months after that. (laughs) But I love it. I mean, I can watch just that scene repeatedly.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, he was... He was born to play that role. I really feel like he was. He was perfect. Perfect. Okay, well then that just leaves my number one. Which is? Who do you think it is?
1: Oh... It's Gabriel Byrne. It's
0: Gabriel Byrne from End of Days. Whoa, he's so dreamy. Oh, my Lord. That scene in the very beginning where he first takes over Gabriel Byrne, and then he comes out of the bathroom in the restaurant, and he just walks up to that woman and just plants a kiss on her right when her dude is sitting at the table with her. And then the guy starts to protest, and he turns around, and his eyes do that glowy thing, and the guy's like, all right, never mind, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I it's just it's sexy it's it's uh again he's just I just love Gabriel Byrne anyway because like I mentioned earlier he also played a priest in Stigmata and I you know I have a thing for devils and I have a thing for priests it's kind of weird I've got this whole dichotomy thing going (laughs) on and he did them both and he did them both very well so I uh I just love his presence And that, to me, is really the best thing about that movie. I don't even like Robin Tunney, so I'm not excited whenever she's on screen. Arnold is good in it, but Arnold
1: uh, is Arnold. He does what Arnold does.
0: But Gabriel Byrne is the highlight for me. Mm, I can see that. Okay, well then, who's your number one? Guess I can't because you've said everybody that I've thought. I
1: haven't said one, and that is. Peter Stormare.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: As Lucifer. He's your number
0: one. Yes. All right.
1: Constantine. I like him because he's off kilter. He gives a different take on Lucifer. I mean, he is just so happy and pleased with himself (laughs) that he finally gets John Constantine's soul. The one soul he would come up from hell to claim himself. And then when John, you know, basically gives him the fuck you, and it is all part of his plan to get out of it, he's like, no, 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 you're gonna live, if only so you can continue to fuck up, and eventually I'll get your soul some way down the line. I love when he comes up and he's rapping with John, I love when he goes into the pool area that he had frozen time, and he beats the shit out of Gabriel, he is just a badass,
0: he is, and he's gleeful while he's doing
1: it. I love too. that he's dressed all in white, white yeah. and he has tar all over his feet and hands, and just, he is, it is a standout performance. And, I mean, we've had some great actors. I mean, some all-time great classic actors who have played the devil, and he's my number one.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, there have been some amazing ones of, uh... Brad Dourif, and I have never seen that movie, and that upsets me because I feel like Brad Dourif would be an incredible devil, but
1: Well, he was good as just the Gemini killer from Oh uh, my
0: god, yes
1: Exorcist 3, yeah Um,
0: John Carradine has played the devil. Uh, Well, of
1: course he's played everybody. Christopher
0: (laughs) Lee I mean, it's, there have been some really incredible actors, but Yeah, I do feel like if it wasn't for Gabriel Byrne, Peter Stormare is my number two. And so if it wasn't for Gabriel Byrne and just how smoking he is in that movie... You want some alone time? Yeah. (laughs) Peter would definitely have made the top because his performance is just insanely good. Well, I agree. Naturally. Alright, so I've already said my honorable mention was Daniel Malik as Black Phillip. Or, and he's really just the voice, but actually, if you look up Daniel Malik, he's pretty cute too. <laughs> then that was my honorable mention. What are yours?
1: I have a couple. I have the previously mentioned Clarence Williams III as Mr. Sims from Tales from the Hood. And yeah, he's just awesome. I just love the shit. <laughs> oh, yes, the shit. <laughs> You've come for the shit. (laughs) And he just, he, another great scenery-chewing performance. But come on, you're playing the devil. I mean, that's when you go for it. In the same vein, Jack Nicholson as Daryl Van Horn. Ah, love that name. From the Witches of Eastwick. Yay. And then my, the next two are a tie because it's two different actors playing essentially the same character. One as the original movie and the other as the remake. And that's Peter Cook as George Spigot and Elizabeth Hurley as, well, just the devil from Bedazzled.
0: Yeah, I almost put Peter Cook and he actually just got bumped. But Elizabeth Hurley's good too. Well, I mean, she's
1: (laughs) cute as fuck. Um, you're getting all drippy over Gabriel Byrne.
0: You're allowed. I'm not going to say anything. Let's just say Elizabeth
1: Hurley in that, uh, tight red leather outfit. Holy fuck. (laughs) And then Peter Cook is just funny. He has done one of the all time, one of my favorite bits about when, uh, Dudley Moore asks him, so why did you, you know, leave heaven or, you know, start your rebellion or any of that stuff? And he's like, well, let me show you. And then he gets up on like a post box or something and he sits there and he goes, now I'll be God, you be me. Now I want you to sing and dance all around me and tell me how great I am. So Dudley Moore starts going, Oh, you're the greatest. You're the bee's knees. You're so wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, yes, yes, good. Continue. Keep going. Oh, yes, mm-hmm, hmm keep going. Eventually, Dudley Moore's like, I'm tired. And he's like, aha, that's why I left. <laughs> and he introduces Dudley Moore to all the various sins personified by various people. And it's just, if you've never seen Bedazzled, the original... It is really good. The remake was good, not as good, but it was still pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the remake is better. I mean, no, no, no. I think the original <laughs> is better. The remake is fun. Yeah, but um, I, and it's uh Brendan Fraser, yep. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. But I do really like the original. And that's pretty much my honorable mentions. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Those are our favorite cinematic satans did we miss any i i know we did there have been a lot of satans in the movies but uh these are our favorites these are our favorites who are yours and uh let us know or what would your list be you know nicole loves lists yes
1: Who doesn't? I I know. You go on YouTube and that's half the channels. There's various top ten lists. I know.
0: But it's fun. It's fun to do them. And it's fun to talk about them. Yep. And it's fun to hear what other people's are. So let us know. My only drawback
1: is I missed out on Mr. Frost. That was a very good one.
0: Aw, thank you. I do need to see that movie again. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. And I do so love Jeff Goldblum. Mm Mm-hmm. But, okay, uh, I guess that's going to be it for Bumps. We're going to dip out and come back with the collection. Hey, you get back here. We have to do the alphabet.
1: No way. I'm busting
0: loose. That's the son of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. We are back, and it is time to discuss our movies for the episode, and Brian, you get to go first. As it should be. Alphabetically is what I was going to say, but okay. (laughs) My movie is Cold
1: in July from 2014. Now, this is based off a novel by Joe R. Lansdale, and he is one of my all-time favorite authors.
0: We uh, interviewed him. Yes, yes.
1: I've worked with him. I hope to work with him more in the future. If the name doesn't ring a bell for you, if you ever saw Bubba Hotep, he was the one who wrote the short story that that was based on. Uh, He is what I would call a genre blender. He can do anything. Uh, He's a good old boy from Texas, so he often writes about the Western and Texas and stuff like that. Uh, he also obviously writes horror. He writes science fiction. He does comedy, usually black comedy, but still comedy. He does like gritty action, PI stuff. He just, he does it all, and he often does it all in the same story. Uh, if you've never read Joe R. Lansdale, and you do read, and I hope you do, I highly, highly recommend him.
0: He's also behind. Which, I don't know how many people will be aware of this or ever saw it, but the show Hap and Leonard. Yes. Which was also directed by Jim Mickle.
1: Yeah. Not every episode, but after they did Cold in July, Mickle liked Lansdale's stuff so much, he wanted to put out his Hap and Leonard. There are a couple of goofy P.I.'s, who often deal with, like, Southern Gothic mysteries. Uh, There's a whole bunch of books. So, he brought that show out, and I only seen a couple episodes, because for whatever reason, I always kept forgetting about it, or what channel it was on, or whatever. But uh, everything I saw, I liked. I often talk about creative people, authors, writers, directors, whatever. They take inspiration from the things that they really like and they incorporate that into their own creative process and then they make their own voice. And I've been told a few times that in my writing, readers can sometimes get a glimpse of Lansdale peeking out. And yeah, that's on purpose. So uh, that's how much I like him. I really can't stress that enough. He is one of my favorite authors of all time. This story, this movie, is technically not a horror movie. So if you're one of those diehard horror fans who all I watch is horror, you can skip ahead to the next part. But it is a very dark thriller. There's some suspense and mystery. And there is some horrific elements. Uh, especially when they get to a section about baseball. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you're just, I like horror, nothing else, well, I'm going to bore you, I guess.
0: But if you are a fan of something like 8mm, Yes, then that's a good call. then you would also enjoy this, likely. Yeah, I would because think so. The, even though it's not technically a horror film, the themes are very dark.
1: As for the movie, it stars Michael C. Hall, you know, Dexter. And he's just a guy living in Texas in, I think, the 1980s, it's set.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to say 89.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: And he is a typical dude. He
1: owns a store where they make frames for photographs and art and whatever. He has a wife and a kid. You know, he's just a regular guy. One night, somebody breaks into his house. Being in Texas, of course he has a gun. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. So he goes out to see what's going on with the gun. He sees the burglar. And he tells the burglar, look, just, you know, stop. Get out of here. But the crook makes a sudden move. And he pulls the trigger. More out of shock or surprise than anything else. But... The gun does what it's designed to do, and he kills the guy. So the cops come, and they're like, oh, no, you know, don't worry. He broke into your house. You know, you were in fear of your life. Blah, blah, blah. This is all going to be fine. We're all going to make it go away. Don't worry. And they do. And then it goes from there. First, you got Michael C. Hall dealing with the guilt of what he did, because, again, he's just a normal dude. It's not easy to take a life, so he's feeling a bit bad about that. He didn't want to kill the guy. But, you know, you have to protect your wife and kid. Then he learns the identity of the burglar. And he's just, you know, a small-time, petty thief, crook, whatever. He's not a bad guy. He's not a murderer. He was just, you know, a crook. But then the kids... And I call him that because he is, like, in his early, early 20s. The kid's daddy comes, and he's a piece of work. He just got out of jail. He's a man of violence, and he has taken exception to the fact that this guy has killed his son. And it's very much, you know, you treated him like garbage. He doesn't blame the guy necessarily for, you know, you murdered my son, but you did, in fact, kill my son. He does take that personally, and like I said, he is a man of violence, so he's seeking retribution. So that's another thing about Lansdale. His characters are often shades of grey, and I really like that, because nobody is a white-hat cowboy, good through and through, drinks his milk. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the bad guys are usually not muah evil, incarnate, or whatever. Or even if they are, and he does have some, in fact some in this very movie, that are black-hearted to the core, they still have humanity. They're not just caricatures. So, uh, yeah, Dad is looking for some payback. Michael C. Hall is looking to, you know, protect his family because the father of the dead crook, he basically makes it clear, you took my son. Hey, you have a son, don't you? It'd be a shame if something happened to him. And that's where we go. Eventually, you learn a deeper mystery of what's going on, who was killed, And I guess I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. It wasn't the bad guy's son. Yeah, Michael C. Hall shot some complete utter stranger, and the cops are saying it was this guy. And why are they saying that? Where is the bad guy's son? Then we go even further from that, where it takes a hell of a twist. Michael C. Hall and the father of the dead crook, played by Sam Shepard, They actually become friendly, and they begin to look into this mystery even further. The bad dad, who isn't all that bad, actually, has a friend in Don Johnson, who plays a very, very Texas kind of P.I., rolling in a town with his horns on the hood of his car, and I mean... Cowboy hat. Yeah, just everything to the nines. And they call him in, and then the three of them begin to explore this mystery. Why would the cops frame, or at least say, that a person was killed who obviously wasn't killed? Where is the guy's son? And it goes from there. And it starts to go really dark and twisted from there. And that's about all I'll say about the overall plot, because, like I said, this is a mystery and half the fun is seeing where it goes and it goes to some very unexpected very dark areas and there's a very good climactic ending to it all what makes this movie stand out is of course
0: the acting the cast is amazing <laughs> yeah, everybody does amazing work uh, should mention that the sheriff Who has a kind of minor role comparatively, but he's played by Jim Mickle regular Nick DiMici. Yes. Who we will also be talking about in the next movie we talk about.
1: Yeah, well, of course, it's a Mickle movie, so, you know, Nick's going to be in there somewhere nine times out of ten. Michael C. Hall, he was great as Dexter, and he's great here. Again, playing a totally different type of character. They're very much a regular Joe who gets roped into this weird succession of events.
0: With a badass mullet.
1: With a badass mullet. (laughs) hey, It was the 80s. And uh, he has to touch a little bit of his own dark side before the end of the movie. And then for me, the ultimate star of the show is Don Johnson as the Texas... Country fried, you know, uh, PI who is just awesome.
0: He kills it in this, and this is, and I like Don John, John. I like Don Johnson, yeah, uh, a lot. But yeah. this, I think, is my favorite performance of his ever. I think like, so. I he was he's just so good in this, and it just oozes. Don Johnson, like yeah. his, his, I can't imagine anybody else playing this role because it was—it's like it was made for him.
1: I really like Don Johnson, Ooh, like you said. I've I've liked him, you know. I've always liked him, but as he's gotten older, yeah, I think he's gotten better.
0: I yeah, and I think a lot of actors are that way, and you know, as they get seasoned, they get better. Brad Pitt is one yeah. that I think only gets better the older he gets. You know, Leonardo. I didn't like him when he was young, but now I really like him. So, uh, you know, I think the same is true for Don Johnson. Although I always liked him, but (laughs) not as much. But uh, this is a very
1: manly movie uh, based off a very manly book. It's about, you know, three guys coming together, putting aside some differences, and tackling a problem and having to do some pretty badass stuff to see things through. Uh, like I said, it does go into some very dark and messed up places and you really get a sense of that with Michael C. Hall's character because he is an everyman. So when he is shocked and surprised by stuff so are you. You know, Don Johnson and Sam Shepard who plays Russell the father of this or the reported father of the uh, slain burglar they're more used to violence. They're a couple of army buddies and you know they've done some things in the past so they're not all that surprised or shocked by anything that's going on. And even they see something that pushes them to the limits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, and that scene is amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Ugh, I wish we could spoil it. Because I, I just there's so many things I want to talk about. So many amazing scenes. And just line deliveries that are so good. Like when Sam Shepard finds out what he finds out, his reaction to that mm-hmm. is fucking brilliant.
1: Well again, that's Lansdale. He is great at dialogue. I mean this is essentially a western. It's set in Texas. It's set in the 80s, but, I mean, it's all but an Old West story. It's very much infused with that, and just some of the darkest side of humanity that they stumble into and then have to fight their way out of. There is a big, huge gun battle, which is awesome. If you like action and you like just ass-kicking, this movie delivers.
0: But it's, for those of you who don't like action, I wouldn't categorize this even close to being an action movie. No. There's just, you know, a scene that involves some action. How can he not like action, though? A lot of people don't like action. Dave doesn't like action. What's wrong with him? Well, he doesn't like action because it's hard for him to keep up. Like, really? if things are happening too quickly, you know, he, he just... Loses his interest. Well, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, things don't happen like oh,
1: beam, bang, boom, and like that. But there is some, some... I mean, yeah, it's not John Wick. Yeah. But there is some fighting which John Wick is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely an experience. And then you add on top of all of this great acting, a great story, then you have great direction by Mickle. Yeah. So this one, it really... I won't say it surprised me, because I have read the novel, I am a fan of the novel. I am surprised at how good it turned out. Because again, Lansdale can be some somewhat of a hard translation to the screen. Because his style is so uniquely him. I can see people not getting it. But it's clear Mickle did get it, because not only, like you said, he did this movie, but then he did a whole TV series. I don't know if it's still going. Probably not. But, like, a year or two after it. hmm Yeah, it's just... It's a damn good movie that I hope all of you will give a chance and give it a watch. Again, a not really horror, but not everything great has to be horror.
0: Yeah, and it's dark. It I is mean, dark. So, I think it's dark enough to satisfy horror fans. It, You know, I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, I watch... A little bit of everything, but mostly horror. I'd say 90-something percent of what oh, yeah. I watch is horror, and I'm very happy with it. Uh, also, Kurt Russell's son is in oh, it as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wyatt Russell.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, that's an awesome Western name, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Wyatt. Yeah, I mean, without giving too much, uh, delving too deep into the spoilers and the whole mystery, that's pretty much about
0: it. Yeah, it's kind of sad that we can't really say much more about it without spoiling things. And I really feel like this is a film that, if people haven't seen it, you should go into it with as little as yeah. possible. Now, anything that we have said isn't going to ruin anything no. for you. But that's I...
1: for the most part, set up.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty much all in the beginning, and it kind of sets up that way, and then... When it really gets mysterious and interesting, that's the parts we aren't talking about.
1: But yeah, I love how the characters interact with each other. I've already said, but I love the dialogue. Um, I think it's paced exceptionally well, and I really like how it ends up at the end.
0: Much like the actors we were talking about, I feel like Jim Mickle as a director got better with every film he made. I mean, I feel like each film was just one step up from the previous. And it is quite possible that horror fans did see this because that's the reason I watched it. Because Jim Mickle, up to this point, had only done horror. You know, he did...
1: Mulberry Street. Mulberry
0: Street, which is my least favorite. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's okay, but... It's a
1: good little movie, but it's nothing exceptional. Yeah,
0: it's. I think it was actually one of the eight films to die for. Yes. And uh, then after that, he did the movie that I'm going to be discussing, which is Stakeland, And then he did We Are What We Are, Mm -hmm. which I fucking love. Another film with some fantastic performances. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Uh, Then he did this. Yeah. and then he went on to do TV and stuff and unfortunately he hasn't come back to horror that I'm aware of, but I wish he would I so wish because he's so good
1: Yep, yeah. he's one of the modern masters of horror in my book who never gets enough respect never gets enough name drops or mentions or anything but he definitely deserves it I haven't seen everything he's done because like you said, he's gone off to do other things and whatnot. But of the movies I've seen, I've pretty much liked them all. Even Mulberry Street, the people turning into rat monsters movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, the worst thing about that is it's all green. Well, you that know, was the it, time. It looks, it's ugly as hell, but... And
1: everything was either green or piss yellow. That was the two colors you had.
0: But it was an entertaining film. Yeah. And uh, another thing I love is that he continues to use Nick DiMici. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only movie he wasn't in was We Are What We Are
1: I think he's in that one too. I think oh. he has a minor role.
0: Oh, okay. Maybe he does. I, I could
1: be wrong, more... but I'm I'm pretty sure he was in there.
0: He doesn't play the dad, does he? No. Okay. Yeah, I he probably is somewhere because I don't know if I don't know if Jim Mickle can do anything without Nick Demichi. No. Who is also a writer, yeah, uh, apart from being an actor and uh, he's done other things. Uh, if you don't recognize the name Nick Dimitri, if you've ever seen uh, Stakeland or any of the movies I mentioned, he's obviously in those. And then uh, Late Phases, if you. He, he was the blind war vet. Yeah. He was aged up for that role. Yeah. And uh, I think he did an excellent job there. I really like him. I adore everything about this movie in particular, but pretty much. Jim Mickle's whole catalog. Well, that's why I did the Micklemania show with Duncan. That was actually before this film came out. So we didn't talk about this one, but we had talked about all of his previous films. Because he was an up-and-comer. He was new on the scene, and it was just like, bam, 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 like Ty West was in the beginning, you know, and Flanagan, and Flanagan, of all the ones that I have seen a few of their films and falling in the fallen in love with them you know like Ari Aster Robert Eggers uh, the ones who were just hitting the scene Ty West Jim Mickle Flanagan is the one that has kept going yes and has the largest catalog
1: I've often compared him to John Carpenter early John Carpenter where for me anyways it was hit after hit after hit mm-hmm. I'm not talking about financially or even what the critics say or anything but for me these movies are just fucking amazing and it's one after the other after the other
0: yeah and that's kind of the way I feel about Mickle although his is a progression yeah. like I said I seriously feel like each one of each time he does a film it's a little bit better than the one before yeah if you want to watch this one if you've never seen it and you want to check it out which we highly recommend then it is available, of course, on. Tubi! Yeah. <laughs> I
1: love Tubi.
0: It is available I guess other they places. don't have
1: Tubi in the UK?
0: Yeah. it um... makes me sad.
1: Because <laughs> Tubi's awesome. It's free, and they have, I mean, they have a lot of shit on Tubi. They but have they everything have, on Tubi. Yeah, but they have so many just good, hidden, hard to find little gems that nobody else
0: has. Yeah, this and is again, a, it's free. You can't beat that. This is also available on several other... It's on Pluto, DirecTV, AMC+, Canopy. And then you can rent it on Prime or Apple TV. So it's pretty easy to find, obviously, as we always recommend to be, because it's free, and why not? Yeah, exactly. If
1: you have seen this, I would love to hear from you. And if you've never seen it in based on our review, then watch it. Please let us know what you think of it. I am interested in how horror fans, die-hard horror fans, which all of you are, what is your opinion of this movie? And how did you take to it? The fact that it isn't straight-up hardcore horror, does that play any effect on you? Or is a good movie a good movie You know, just in and of itself. I choose B. Yeah, so do I. But not everybody does, and I don't like giving them too much shit for that. (laughs) But yeah, sadly, without giving away more of the story details, I want you to find out for yourself. That's about all I can really... I mean, I can't think of anything else that... it wouldn't be a spoiler. Yeah, that would be safe. Just, you know, the acting's great, the direction's great, the cinematography, everything about this movie is just really damn good. Check it out.
0: Yep, I agree. Okay, well then, should we move on to mine? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay, then let's get into it. My film is Stakeland from 2010. Now, this one came before Brian's, but, you know, we do the alphabet thing, so that's why Brian got to go first. Also, he's special. Well, I am. Um... <laughs> this was obviously directed by Jim Mickle. derp. Uh, because this is all about Jim Mickle and it stars Nick D'Emici, as yeah, I've it, mentioned a bunch Connor Paolo who was also in Friend Request <laughs> now that is the only other horror title that I can see, but he's been in a lot of stuff, starting, going all the way back to Mystic River
1: I don't think that was a good movie, was it? Friend Request?
0: Not really, no. Okay.
1: I have, you know, foggy memories of it, but I remember not liking it.
0: I, I think it, it had an interesting premise, but it just wasn't done all that well. Okay. Connor plays Martin, and he's a young guy. And he also, there are two sequels to this film, uh, Stake Land 2 and then Stakelander, Lander. And Connor Paolo is in all three of them. But I haven't seen the two sequels, and they're no. not done by Jim Mickle, so yeah, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm a little bit leery of that.
0: It also has Danielle Harris, yep, in honestly the best performance I have ever seen from her.
1: I will second that. I think she does really good work here, and it shows that she can be a very good actress, other than just a scream queen and you know run around
0: well, typically- screaming typically these days all she does is cameos here and there Uh, now or she was in the the hatchet sequels but i didn't like her in those i Uh, thought she
1: was okay but i don't have this intense hatred of her like you do
0: i don't have an intense hatred anymore i've softened it's been a decade, and I re- but I really do like her in this movie. Yeah. I think she did a great job in this. It also has Kelly McGillis. He yeah. blew the dust yeah, off. Yeah, where her. the hell has she been? <laughs> and of course, she had a little bit of a comeback when she did this and the Innkeepers. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen anything more from her. I don't know if she's doing anything now. I know she wasn't invited to Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> But I mean, that's she kind of looks like Crew still looks the same yeah, from Top Gun. That's what I was going to say. Is she actually
1: looks? That like... motherfucker has the portrait of Dorian Gray somewhere <laughs> hidden in his house.
0: She looks more like his mother. Yeah, enough. she uh, does not. And just as a fun little thing, um, Larry Fessenden shows up as yeah. a bartender in one of the towns. But the main people you need to be concerned about are Nick DiMici, who plays the man, and. Uh, The Paolo kid and daniel harris those are our three main characters
1: nick dimici's character is called mr mr
0: not the man yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) but yet just mr yeah i kind of like that this is another movie that although it's set in the modern day and it's set in the south mostly i mean it is a bit of a cross country film it feels very western to me
0: yeah if the title didn't give it away (laughs) it's about vampires but this is about a world that has been completely taken over by vampires not in a daybreakers kind of way where they you know have retrofitted all the technology for vampires but in a an apocalyptic kind of way
1: yeah these are not your suave wearing suits and capes kind of vampires these are nasty feral monsters they're just Beasts. They hide during the day. They come out at night. It's basically like a zombie apocalypse film, but with vampires instead of zombies. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I love that take like on vampires.
0: Last Man on Earth versus Night of the Living Dead. Yes. You know? The thing I love about this is it's a very low-budget film. Mm-hmm. And that's obvious. It's not, uh, it's not like it's a hidden fact. But I think that... He did a whole lot with that small budget.
1: Yeah, it's low budget insofar as there's not that many big, huge named actors. Um, there's like no expensive special effects, and so on and so forth. But other than that, I don't think it looks no. like a cheap film.
0: No, it looks good. Yeah, And the set pieces are really cool, mm-hmm. because um, what happens is we first meet... Martin as a you know he's a child and a teenager he, his family gets attacked and that opening scene yeah oh, there's a scene he,
1: oh, in a barn yes, where it's Martin it's his mom his dad and his baby I don't know if it's a brother or sister but baby sibling and they all get murked and it is something to see
0: except for Martin
1: except for Martin yeah obviously
0: and then as he escapes the situation that's when he meets mister and mister is a lone he's a loner he's a he's a vampire killer that's what he does he just travels around and kills vampires and collects their teeth because in this world you can use them as currency
1: yes that's awesome
0: the whole the world is just it's apocalyptic right like there's no but it's not modern conveniences it's not like
1: a nuclear wasteland where everything is desert. No. It's very much wilderness.
0: Yes. And you have little pioneer towns yeah. almost uh, spotted around. And, you know, play, people have their uh, little vill- kind of like The Walking Dead, right. where they have built their little villages. With and they put a wall around it. And-, and-,
1: and I like, because it is a vampires, during the day it is somewhat normal.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you can you, go about your yeah. business.
1: And, you know, you can have a dance or and a party and, you know, try to live a normal, as much as you can, kind of life. But at nighttime, everybody battens down the hatches. Mm-hmm. Everybody hides, because that's when the vampires come out.
0: Yeah, and uh, there is an, um, an amazing scene oh, towards the end. The
1: helicopter? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, apart from having these monstrous Vampires, and then, like, yeah, like Brian said, these are monsters. These mm-hmm. are not, they're they don't guy. look like people. Yeah,
1: they're not Dracula going good evening. No, they're these are just fucking monsters, hissing, roaring, growling, swiping at you with claws. I mean, they're just
0: nasty, nasty vampires. Mm-hmm. My favorite kind, yeah, mine too. I love that. I love an animalistic vampire, mm-hmm. but apart from them, there's also this whacked out cult. And you have to watch out for those people in the daytime.
1: Yeah, because they're human, and they act... They kind of worship the vampires. Not really, but kind of. They see it as, you know, a plague from God to get rid of the sinners and basically everybody who's not them. So, yeah, yeah, if you're not part of this cult, they will kill you or they'll feed you to the damn vampires.
0: Yeah, and so the... That's what happens in the movie. We are traveling. They're trying to find a place to be. I think they're heading to Canada or, or north. They're going somewhere where there are no vampires. There's this mystical place that is supposed to be safe, and they're trying to get there.
1: Isn't it called like New Eden or something? Something like, like that? that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And. They're all trying to sojourn to this place. And so, along the way, they go through several towns. They, you know, come in contact with several different people. And they, you know, of course, go head to head against the cult members at times. And then, but apart from that, you also have to look out for the typical things you have to look out for in an apocalypse, which mm-hmm. is raiders, uh, just all around bad people. So. It kind of reminds me of The Road.
1: Well, yeah. It's definitely a a travel film. It's definitely an adventure film. Because, yeah, they start from point A, and they want to get to point B, and along the way, that's where they have their troubles. And that's where they meet new people. That's how they lose some people. And that's how they make enemies. And so the whole thing is just one long journey. But I love films like that. And this one is just, it's really good. You get to see and you get a real good sense of this world, how it's so messed up, how it is so different, and you can actually see that firsthand as you go along with our heroes on this
0: journey. Yeah, and I think he did it very well. I I happen to have an affinity for those types of films. Oh, yeah and even though this one can be dusty at times <laughs> it's not enough to turn me off <laughs> i really enjoy this one and like i said it has a smaller budget but it doesn't look that way yeah it's a very not com- at all competently made film i think the pacing on this is excellent and the performances are really good
1: oh very good uh, i like all the actors in this Even Daniel Harris, I know she's not your favorite, but I think she is the best here than in any other film she's been
0: in. Yeah, Uh, I I really do. I think she did an excellent job here.
1: I love their take on vampires, them just being these wild, savage beasts. And even then, they have like different kinds. There's a regular vampire, and then they have something called berserkers, which are the vampires who've been around the longest... They've grown extra strong, Uh, they're extra wild and crazy, and like even their chest plate for some reason has become fused or it's thicker or something, so it's harder to stake them. They're just like a next level vampire to make it more challenging. And then there's even something beyond them that you get later on. Uh, You get this good, you know, adventure story of a surrogate father and son traveling together. Mister is teaching his new young ward the ropes on how to be a vampire hunter. And they go from town to town meeting different people. And like I said, they pick up various people along the way and they also lose various people along the way. So you get to see all that and then of course the cult and everything else. It is just a it's a very good film in and of itself, but I like that it is a vampire film with such a broad scope. Most of the time, vampire films are like in one location, like one house or maybe one town or something like that. This is literally all across the USA. It's, you know, a vampire apocalypse.
0: That's what I really like about apocalyptic films, too, uh, in this sense, uh, is that... The lore that goes into it and the things that, you know, the building of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think he does a really good job world building here. Um, Their relationship starts out because like I said, uh, Mr. is a loner. He doesn't talk a whole lot. He doesn't like people talking to him a whole lot. (laughs) He just likes to mostly keep to himself. He's not a bad guy, but he also doesn't go out of his way to necessarily be a good guy. No,
1: that's, and I love that. That is it's, l-
0: again, like you were talking about with the characters. Shades
1: of Grey. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Not everybody is going to be a white knight going to the rescue. He very much reminds me of uh, Clint Eastwood's gunslinger. The mysterious, silent, mostly just you get a nod or a grunt from <laughs> him.
0: The man with no name? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, their uh, their relationship with Martin and Mr. kind of reminds me in the beginning of, like, Joel and Ellie. Yes. The Last of Us. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time you get to the end of it, they do have an affection yep. for each other, but it doesn't necessarily start out that way. And it's not like he hates him or anything. He's just not uh, an overly affectionate guy. He's one of those mysterious characters. You get that, the sense that
1: something bad has happened to him, or maybe a lot of bad things has happened to him in the past. He doesn't talk about it. There's no big exposition dump, which is good. But, yeah, you can tell he's very guarded. He has closed himself off. And by traveling with this kid and teaching him the ropes and taking care of him and all that stuff, it begins to open him up. Yeah. Where towards the end, he's traveling with like, basically a whole family. A surrogate family they've built around themselves as they continue to travel.
0: Yeah, because when they find Daniel Harris, uh, they actually are in a town and in a bar, I think, and come across her and she ends up coming with him but she's pregnant yeah so you've got a teenage boy a world weary man and a young pregnant girl all trying to survive this world populated with vampires and nastiness
1: an old nun is it
0: the kelly mcgillis is a nun
1: and you know a war vet so yeah it's it's very interesting. The characters are great. The story is great. Uh, some of the things the cult does is awesome in its nastiness. There's been other vampire apocalypse movies, but I think this one is by far my favorite. Oh yeah,
0: I love this movie. And it was written by, and I mentioned earlier that Nick DiMici is yep. a writer as well. This was co-written by Nick DiMici and Jim Mickle. Mm-hmm. And they do that Um, A lot. A lot. (laughs) And uh, I think it works well. They're a good team. And I can see why Mickle uses Demetri all the time. I've never seen him turn in a performance that I didn't love. No.
1: Yeah. He's really good.
0: So, yeah. I mean, if... If somehow you missed Stakeland, it did get buzz when it came out, but Mm -hmm. that was back in 2010. So it is possible that, you know, people just never got around to it or missed it completely. If you did, I recommend going back and rectifying that. Um, Like I said, I haven't seen the sequels, but I am interested. I would like to see them, but I'm not in a hurry. I'll give them a shot, I guess. This one is also available on Tubi. I tell you, I love Tubi. <laughs> on Freebie, Plex, Pluto, Redbox, Roku, Peacock, and Canopy, uh, and then you can rent it. You know, in the usual places. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you can have another double feature with Tubi. I love when the movies we pick are that readily mm-hmm. accessible, so that anyone can watch them. Which, by the way, I didn't... I was supposed to mention this on the last show, and I failed. uh, Because of... That was just... There was a lot. But we had originally said we were going to do Spell from 2021. Oh, yeah. And uh, ended up not being able to find it. Yeah. And, I mean, the way we watched it originally was... You got it for review, but it was a digital
1: Yeah, I got a digital screener, which...
0: A lot of companies out, are doing know?
1: anymore, and yeah, they only last for so long.
0: So we couldn't, me off. we couldn't even watch it again, but uh, eventually I hope to cover that one because I do think it needs to be discussed, but that's well, how we ended up talking about The Believers. I
1: need to find it somewhere and just get it and add it to our library. I don't know why I don't have it already. Usually if they send me the digital trailer on the computer and such... Uh, they'll follow it up with the actual disc when it comes out, but for some reason they didn't do that one.
0: Is that available on disc? I want to say I looked it up. Maybe a while that's it. Maybe it never it came I to disc.
1: I don't know. Maybe it's only on digital.
0: But anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I just wanted to. I had said, I even mentioned in the review for the believers that you guys know why we're talking about the believers and not spell. But no, you didn't, because I failed to mention it in the beginning of the show, <laughs> which I had planned to do, but then forgot. But anyway, so as far as the Jim Mickle movies here, I can't recommend either of them any more than no. I already do. And if you watch these two movies and you like what you see, then he's another director who is varied. Each of his films, like I said, get I think get better, but they also are vastly different Mm -hmm. you know mulberry street is very different from stakeland which is very different from we are what we are which is my personal favorite of his i absolutely love we are what we are and then you know which they're all very different from cold in july so
1: i don't know and that'd be tough for me to pick my favorite i don't know it would either be well it'd be the between these two movies Honestly, it'd be between Cold and July and Stakeland.
0: Really? Where does We Are What We Are
1: fall? Right below them.
0: Oh. I, I
1: think it's a really good movie. I just like these movies better.
0: Well, I get that. I just really love... Oh, what's his name? He used to work with um, Quentin Tarantino all the time. He played the sheriff in the beginning of From yeah. Dusk Till Dawn. But he is, I think, excellent yeah. in we are what we are and that's about cannibalism so (laughs) you know you got vampires, rat people, cannibalism and dark shit we won't spoil (laughs) (laughs) uh, I recommend you check out his entire catalog but start with these and let us know what you think and if you have already seen them let us know that too yeah anything else you want to say about either film?
1: Mm, no I highly recommend both and uh, check them out
0: all right well we'll be right back with bucks then attack of the colossal collection. 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 collection we are now back with the collection and we have 10 movies coming your way every single one of them begins with death
1: <laughs> so you know they gotta be good
0: <laughs> uh what's up first up
1: first is actually a comedy it's from 1992. It is Death Becomes Her. It's the one of Meryl Streep
0: and... Goldie Hawn Goldie and, Bruce,
1: and Willis. Bruce Willis. Here, two women are have a rivalry. One woman steals the husband from another one. And then we jump ahead a few years. The first woman was a bit of a basket case. The other woman is an actress... But now that we're like 10 years in the future, she's older, Bruce Willis plain husband's older, and Goldie Hawn, the jilted lover, is also older, but she looks amazing, and she really does. This is probably the best I think I've ever seen Goldie Hawn look.
0: Yeah, she looks fantastic. She's
1: always been cute, but this, she looks really good. And it comes down to, yeah, she got some special magic formula that... Makes her young and beautiful forever. Meryl Streep finds out, and she takes the same potion. Then the two go at it, and they technically kill each other, but they can't die. So you just get stuff like Meryl Streep with her head on backwards, all twisted around. Goldie Hawn with a big-ass hole through her center, and you can see all the way through it. And then Bruce Willis just freaking out over all this. Uh, like I said, it's a comedy, but it's a very much a black comedy. But it's fun as hell. I've always liked this movie. It's, you know, very dark. I want to say this originally started life as a Tales from the Crypt episode. Not for the TV show, but this was going to be one of their first movies. But then for whatever reason, that didn't go through, so they just made it its own thing. But this is very much in the vein of Tales from the Crypt. You know, Some, a lot of laughs, some gore, some weird dark stuff happening.
0: I don't even know if it's a horror comedy, but I would just nah, call it a black comedy. Say, yeah, it's just a... Yeah, that's pretty much it. I love this movie. Oh, yeah. I have no idea how many times I've seen it, but I never get tired of it. My best friend and I used to watch it all the time, and we used to say to each other... Indicating that we would be friends for life. You Putting paint makeup, my ass. Yeah. <laughs> you paint my ass, I'll paint yours.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. If it's been a few years, like, it actually has been a few for me since I seen it last. So, it was a very good revisit. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, and he usually does good stuff. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. What do you give it, Jamie?
0: Oh, it's a five, no question.
1: For me, it's a four, but that's still, I really like it. We now go to 1981, and I think the first movie with death in the title for good old Charlie Bronson. Won't be the last.
0: Definitely won't be his last. We have a lot of Charles Bronson in in this collection, or this segment of the collection. This is from 1981, and it's
1: called Death Hunt. It's got Charles Bronson... Lee Van Cleef and, you know, various other people and all that. It Uh, is... Lee Marvin. Oh, not Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, Lee Marvin. It is, quote, based on a true story, unquote. Which means...
0: It's not. It's not. I mean, it's inspired by, I guess, maybe, but they took a whole lot of liberties.
1: The story behind it is a bit of Canadian history. Up in the Yukon near Alaska, there was a guy called the Mad Trapper... And the Mounties went after him. And it was a big, long... 30 days. Yeah, 30-day manhunt went all over the place. And I think that might be the origin of the whole Mounties always get their man. But there's always been some contention over that. Because while they did get a body and say, that's the Mad Trapper, they have no way of proving that because they don't know who the hell he is. It's just some dead guy. Well, this takes place in that world where Charles Bronson plays the, quote, Mad Trapper, but he's not necessarily a bad guy. The Mad Trapper was a crazy son of a bitch who would kill people for their gold teeth. Charles Bronson is just trying to save a dog from some assholes. Who are dog fighting. Who are dog fighting, and then they come back looking for some payback. So, like Chucky Bronson always does, he has to kill a few people, and then it just escalates. I love that uh, Lee Marvin doesn't really want to go after him, but it's his job. He has to. So you get this big, huge posse. You get uh, Charles Bronson doing a bit of like Rambo from First Blood, where he's surviving off the land and jumping off cliffs onto trees, and it's just really good shit. You eventually get a biplane and some uh, flyboy joining in the chase. And he has a machine gun mounted to his plane. So it gets really crazy. But it's a lot of fun. It's pretty much a drama action film. It's not a horror film at all. But, I mean, it's Charles Bronson doing what he does. Lee Marvin doing what he does. You get, oh, what's her name? Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson. For no reason at all. Yeah, she just plays a shoehorned love interest. You get Carl Weathers... You get quite a few of, hey, I know that guy, actors, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. If you like adventure, if you like action, I highly recommend it.
0: Well, this was a first-time watch for me. Nice. And... I thought for sure I'd shown it, because I got this in for review.
1: It's on Blu-ray from, oh, 20th Century Fox. Okay. Well, good from them.
0: Uh, No, I had never seen this before, and I loved it so much that I started looking into The Mad Trapper, and I did a little bit of research on that because I didn't know anything about his story either, and that is some fascinating shit. Um, As a matter of fact, they they did kill a guy, and this takes place in the 30s, they did kill a guy that they have been saying was him all these years, but the fact is... No one knows who he is. Yeah. No one knows this guy they killed. No one knows his real name. And they, to this day, as as early or as recent as 2022, they're still doing DNA testing, trying to find out who this guy actually is. It's really fascinating I recommend looking into it just for historical purposes. It's very interesting. As far as the film goes, it's not historical. <laughs> in There's that a respect. little bit
1: of that in there, but, but... They do take liberties.
0: Well, they do, and I thought it was so interesting because the Mad Trapper was a bad guy. He was like legitimately a murderer and just crazy. But when we start off this movie... With Charles Bronson saving a dog who is in a dogfight, I was like, well, they're not doing a very good job of painting him as a bad guy. (laughs) And then, you know, throughout the whole movie, you're on his side. Well, then they do this really cool thing at the end that I just loved. Mm -hmm. I I was enjoying the hell out of the movie anyway, but that ending put it over the top for me. I thought it was fantastic. So I highly recommend this, and I'm kind of sad that it took me this long to see it. Well, you do know it now, so that's something. Yeah.
1: Uh, What do you give? I give this a five. So do I. Next, we're going to 1972 with a movie called Deathline, also known as Raw Meat. This is a British film, and it's all about the whole London underground. We talked about this on the show. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we covered this for either D or R. I don't know what...
0: Uh, It was actually on the X episode. It was a free space. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense.
1: It's a very fun movie. It's about, you know, the London Underground or their subway system and how a tunnel was sealed off for years and it actually trapped some workers in there, but people all thought they just died. Well, they didn't. In fact, there's one survivor, and he's been surviving by eating whatever he can, and that includes people. He's also gone totally insane. He's almost inbred, like he could be the offspring of the people who are trapped in there. So it's really weird, it's really icky, and that tunnel that was collapsed is now open, so this guy is on the loose and starting to kill people in the subway system.
0: Well, I think he definitely is the inbred offspring of those. And when we first get into the movie, he has his companion, but yeah. she dies. So it's like they have been inbreeding for how long ago had it been? Not quite a hundred years, but, but close
1: like to that. Yeah. Eighty
0: years or something like that since the tunnel collapsed and they just left it.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're, it's
0: creepy as hell.
1: They're all like almost like the uh, hills have eyes rejects where, you know, they're not Stupid per se, but they're far from being you know scholars or
0: anything. Uh, Donald Pleasance turns in a fantastic performance in this movie. I yeah, love he's funny him as hell. so much in this.
1: He's playing the chief inspector who's looking into this case. Christopher Lee actually plays a very small part in here. He's like part of MI5, which is the UK's version of the FBI. Or is that MI6? One's the CIA, the other is the FBI. Anyways, he comes in and tells Donald Pleasance, you need to leave this alone, and blah blah blah. And that's all he does. I mean, sadly, he's not in it for long. But, it's just it's a really good movie. It's like half horror movie, half detective movie. It's shot beautifully.
0: Oh yeah. And it's all about cannibalism. Yeah. There you go. But again, we did cover this on the show previously. If you want to go back and listen to a full review on that, I give this a five.
1: I think I go with a four because it does take a little bit of time to get going, but it is a damn good movie. I always enjoy it, and that's why I really like it. We now go to the world of TV movies.
0: Yay! I knew that was coming. (laughs) This is from
1: 1981. 1981. This was based off a big story that happened in 1980. There's actually a different movie about the same subject, an actual theatrical movie called Star 80. And this is Death of a Centerfold, the Dorothy Stratton story. And Dorothy Stratton was a Canadian girl, very, very, very beautiful. She was, quote, discovered by a real piece of shit.
0: Paul Snyder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he is just... He's got little man syndrome. He's a pimp. He's a drug dealer. He's a, you know, con man. He's just... He's He's one
0: of those, like, sleazy guys that puts together wet t-shirt contest and auto shows and wears gold chains with his shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button and fur coats. And, I mean...
1: Well, he recognized... (laughs) Yeah, he, he is the epitome of scum. But
0: he did recognize how
1: beautiful Dorothy was, so he arranged to get some pictures taken, and then they sent him to Playboy, and then Playboy wanted to use her, so they flew her out to California in the Playboy Mansion, or was that still in Chicago at this time? No, it was L.A. Okay, so she became first the Playmate of a month, and then she actually became the Playmate of the year, so she was actually going places. She starred in a very cheap sci-fi movie called Galaxina. She played the main robot Robot. and she didn't didn't have have... any lines, Yeah, (laughs) but she looked great. She was pretty. So, you know, her career was starting to kick off and she was starting to take acting classes and was going to be in other movies. Unfortunately, her boyfriend who then eventually became her husband, like I said, he's a big piece of shit. So he did not like that she was going places without him. He was very much a controlling douchebag. Very jealous. And, you know, to give the actor credit, who is Bruce Wirtz, I'm not familiar with him, but he does play a very, very good scumbag. I and mean, he is detestable from word one. And, of course, the Dorothy Stratton is played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Because this is a TV movie, there's no nudity, but she does look good in some skimpy outfits.
0: Yeah, it comes close.
1: Yeah, the end of the story, because it is based off a real event. Paul raped and murdered Dorothy, and then blew his own brains out. So that's where this ultimately ends. It is a tragedy, but what this movie does, and with Star 80 as well, is they... Show you the whole story and let you get to know the characters and all that. What do you think of this TV movie, baby?
0: I give it a five. This is one that I used to watch. uh, used to come on TV quite a bit, and I used to watch it all the time. This is a story that has always fascinated me. I like both versions. The other version, Star 80, has Eric Roberts playing Paul Snyder. Yep. And Mariel Hemingway playing Dorothy Stratton they're both very good this is my preference I think this one is better but I actually like Star 80 better really yeah I think it's just maybe it's just that I like Jamie Lee Curtis so much could be But, but yeah you give this one a
1: five I'll go with a four it's a good solid movie it's still pretty sleazy and scummy despite being a tv movie like you said I think they push it as far as they can but, uh, yeah, if you're into true crime type stuff, I would give it a watch.
0: And that's a case that no one ever really talks about anymore. I mean, it was 40 years ago, yeah. so that kind of makes sense. But, you know, it's, it's still a very interesting story. Yeah. And sad. It's very sad. Because by all accounts, Dorothy Stratton was a very nice person. Yeah.
1: And, you know, both versions, she does come off as really sweet, very innocent. She was just getting her life together and... Shit brain, you know, took it all away. In lighter news, (laughs) uh, we go to 1975 and the original Death Race 2000. There was a remake some years back with, oh, what's his name? Was it Vin Diesel? No. No. British guy, bald guy. Statham? Yes, Statham. And that movie was okay, but this is so much better. It is so much more ridiculous. Has
0: Sylvester Stallone too? Yes. And John, um, David. Carradine. David Carradine. Yeah. Uh, in the
1: future of two thousand, uh, America is ruled by some religious oligarchy who has pretty much taken over the world except for France because <laughs> they blame everything on the French. And they have a palace in Moscow, and they have a palace in Beijing, so America is just kicking ass. And every year, they give the people what they want. It's kind of like the whole purge stuff. That's
0: what I was going to say, is it's very much like the purge. Where you get a bunch of people
1: in these awesomely souped-up and designer cars. Each person is a character. They have their own little thing- Like, there's one chick who has a cow car, and she's all Western, and that's Calamity Jane.
0: Played by Mary Warnoff. Yes.
1: There was uh, another chick who has a Nazi car, and she is Matilda the Hun. You have a guy named Nero, who's based off the Roman Emperor, and he has a lion-themed car. You have good old Sylvester Stallone in one of his earliest roles playing Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. And he's like a Chicago gangster. And then you have David Carradine as Frankenstein.
0: And he has the coolest car. Yes. I
1: love his car. His car car looks like a monster. He always wears a mask. Supposedly he's a guy that just cannot die. Like they talk about the Race of 97 where he lost an arm And then in a race of, you know, 98, he lost most of his face, and so on and so forth. While this is all sanctioned by the government, and the reason it's called Death Race is not only is it a cross-country race from New York to California, but they also get points for running people over. And that's where you get a lot of the satire, that's where you get a lot of the gore, and that's where you get a lot of the fun. Because not only are they racing with these impractical cars with all their little, you know, things that set them apart, but they're running over people as they go.
0: Yeah. And, uh, each type of person has a different point level. Yes. Kids and infants, uh, are the most give you a lot of points. Elderly people
1: people are the most. And they want to get rid of them, I guess.
0: Yeah. And there's a great scene where they, (laughs) there's a, um, What is it? It's like a hospice, a geriatric ward, ward. and they call it Euthanasia Day. Whenever the race is coming through, they bring all the old people out and put their wheelchairs on the middle of the street. (laughs) But David Carradine, Frankenstein, he he doesn't like that idea, so he changes things up a bit, which is great. Uh, This has, uh, like we said, it's it's very reminiscent of The Purge to me, just because the whole thing is government sanctioned Mm -hmm. and all of that. But it also reminds me of something like slashers. If yeah. you've ever seen that, it's that's kind of an an obscure film. But uh, it's all about a Japanese gang show. Gang show. I mean, it's American. No, I think it's Canadian. But it's all about. Uh, it's made by Marcus Devereux, the same guy who made End of the Line. It's a Japanese game show where people go in and like American gladiators where they go in and they're pitted against slashers like one guy in a priest outfit who kills people and another guy who's a hillbilly who kills people and things like that but the whole thing is a satire about well just culture and that's kind of like what this is too so There's a lot of really good stuff going on here. I love this film. I love the way it looks. I love the music. I love the... Just everything about it. It's so much fun.
1: Yeah, everything is ultra colorful. Um, There's a, a resistance movement, and they're trying to kill the racers. And... The racers are all driving around, killing people, having lots of sex as they do it.
0: Oh, yeah, there's some nudity here, too.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's a weird, wild movie, the likes of which wasn't a thing before this and not so much after it. Like I said, they did do a remake, but they tried to, quote, make it more realistic, I guess. Lame. Yeah, and they had it set in a prison, and it was all dirty and grimy and just, meh, who cares? Yes. This is so much fun. It's so much better.
0: And directed by Paul Bartell.
1: And directed by Paul Bartell, which I didn't know he directed a lot of stuff.
0: I didn't either, but that it also makes sense then that Mary Warnoff yes. is in this film.
1: I love this movie, and I give it a five out of five. So do I. All right. We are now going... So far,
0: every single movie we've talked about, I have I have hit with a five. Well,
1: you're an easy touch.
0: I am, but we. this is a really great run. yeah. And it continues with
1: 2007's Death Sentence. It is directed by James Wan, but it's not a horror movie. No. In fact, it is literally Death Wish under a different title. It's based off the novel. It kind of skews a little bit closer to that novel in some instances, and then it varies in others. But, uh... Yeah, it's a vengeance film. It's a vigilante film. I love me
0: some vigilantes. Oh, yeah.
1: But what I like here is they do try to play it more realistically. There's an old saying that says, Before you go off on a path of vengeance, dig two graves. And the idea is one of the graves is for the person you want vengeance on, and one of the graves is for you. And this movie really shows that. Because it's got Kevin Bacon as just a regular old guy. He has two kids and a wife and lots of money, and he's living well. And then, of course, violence happens while stopping at a gas station. His son is just butchered, literally, by some gang initiation with a machete. Kevin Bacon at first tries to stay within the law to get justice... But when it becomes clear that ain't going to happen, he does what any good vigilante does, and Choke goes to get his own justice. And he does. He finds the guy who killed his son, and he kills him. And that's only at the halfway mark. But then, that scumbag has friends and family, and now they want vengeance. And so just everything keeps escalating. Whereas you think it might be a simple story of a guy not taking it anymore and getting a gun and going out hunting. No, he goes after the one guy who killed his son, then the bad guys come after him, then he goes back after them, and more people get killed and maimed and innocents all lost. It's really a dark film but there's a lot of fun in it too if you do like vigilante type movies and i do i must admit i'm a sucker for that even though they're like fantasy films for me because you realize in real life you know maybe becoming a vigilante might not be the best thing to do but there is a primal part of you that responds to that you know if you're hurt you want justice and if In all these movies, things always get in the way of justice or the criminals get a slap on a hand or anything like that. So you can relate to these people, you know, going further and doing horrible things in the name of justice or revenge. I'm all about it. But uh, this is a really good movie. I don't think it ever did all that well. Like when it came out. James Wan was definitely trying to do something other than just horror movies all the time. And he's done that since then. He did one of the Fast and Furious movies. Aquaman. He did Aquaman. So he has broadened out some. But this was his first attempt at that. And I think it works. But again, a lot of people didn't like that he was stepping outside of his safety zone or something.
0: You also see Billy... In a scene here, as oh, yeah. graffiti in a tunnel. Yeah. Or uh, like an underpass.
1: As typical of James Wan, there's usually a Billy the puppet. You know, the little puppet comes out and wants to play games with you from Saw. He's usually somewhere in the background, and he's here. You also get uh, John Goodman playing like a low level crime boss. But he is just, he's so scummy and just so, I mean like he's threatening his own kids with death and I don't know, I just really like his character because he's just very much, he knows he's violent, he knows he's a brute, but he's not like foaming at the mouth and he's very cold and calculating. Kevin Bacon is great as the normal good guy pushed too far.
0: Well, what I like about it is that he doesn't just, he's not out of the gate a badass all of a sudden because he has a vendetta. Yeah. He is a normal guy who fucks up. Yeah. And he gets hurt. And other people get hurt. Yes. <laughs> because of what he's doing. Yeah, he's not. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's
1: not the punisher. right. He's a guy who can't take it anymore, and he goes out to do something with that. Going against some hardcore, you know, street gang shitheads. And they're far more used to violence than he is. So there is a bit of a learning curve, but I like that. So if you want another dramatic action film, I say give it a watch. If you are a fan of the Death Wish movies, again, this is based off the same novel, it's just a little different take... But, uh, you can definitely see the influence. I give this a 4.5 out of 5.
0: Nice.
1: What do you give it?
0: A 5.
1: Of course.
0: I mean, come on, it's a vengeance film made by James Wan.
1: Is it part of the Wannaverse?
0: Yes, it is, because he made it.
1: <laughs> we now go to 1988 with Death Spa. The <laughs> spa that deaths. <laughs> no, it's not called that, but... I always call it that. This is a movie that I often get conflated with... uh, Killer Workout. Killer Workout. Me too. But this is... Okay, there is a workout club. a, uh, A spa. And people start dying there. At first you think it's like their brand new... Spiffy computer system that they installed... Which can control everything. All the cameras the actual gym equipment, and just so on and so forth. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, the computer's gone crazy! But then it starts going into supernatural territory, and then you're like, okay, what's going on? Is this a killer computer, or is there ghosts or something going on? So there's a bit of a mystery as to what's going on, why are people dying, and stuff like that. There are some pretty good kills, There is a surprising amount of nudity. It feels like a supernatural slasher to me. And it has an ending, which is a bit ridiculous,
0: but I think it's a lot of fun. The whole thing is ridiculous. But I gotta say, it is filmed beautifully. Yeah. This guy, I actually don't know who made this movie. Michael Fisher. Okay. He took this premise that is silly as fuck. Because it really is. Yeah. And he really tried to make a legitimate movie out of this. You can tell. It is gorgeous. Like, the, the shots are really beautiful. The lighting. Like, he took this shit seriously. Yeah,
1: he's... You can tell he's a artist. Because, yeah, the shots in here are very artistic. Some border on pretentious. But... It works for the most part. And then you have this ridiculous story of avenging ghosts or killer computers or maybe both. And, you know, there's also some partners trying to screw another partner out of his share in the business. So maybe they're behind what's going on. And then you have this whole story about that one partner who's getting screwed out of the business. His wife killed herself some years ago by dousing herself in gasoline and lighting it on fire, which is always a hell of a way to go. And then, yeah, you just have a bunch of people running around. You also have, a uh... Ken Foray. Yeah, Ken Foray as one of their workout instructors. So, yeah, it is just a fun 80s throwback. It's not really a slasher, although it kind of is... It's not really a supernatural horror story, although it kind of is. It is definitely pretty unique.
0: Yeah, that's a good word for
1: it. I give this a four out of five. What do you? I
0: will also give it a four. Ooh, your first four. I know, I know. It's just... You so, hate Death Spa. No, I, <laughs> no, I actually enjoy it quite a bit, but it is a little out there, and it's not something I can watch all the time.
1: Yeah, same here. We now go to an all-time classic. I just mentioned Death Wish previously. Well, that's what we're talking about now. From 1974, it is the Michael Winner-directed... Charles Bronson starring, just classic. It's the story, you know, a guy, he's an architect, and I like the fact that he's actually a pacifist in the beginning.
0: Yeah, he was a conscientious objector during the Korean War. Yes,
1: so that means he won't touch guns, he doesn't believe in violence. But unfortunately, Jeff Goldbrum's an asshole. (laughs) And you get to see a young, rail-thin Jeff and his punk buddies following Charles Bronson's wife home from the grocery store so they can attack her so they can rob her and of course, rape her and the daughter too they end up killing the mother and doing some severe mental trauma to the daughter so, and this is what I like Charles Bronson has to find himself. He doesn't instantly go from one to a hundred and just grab a gun and start shooting people. Because again, he's a pacifist and, you know, he wants the law to handle this, but the law never does. In fact, through the whole movie, he never gets his revenge on the people who actually hurt his family. And I like that because New York, where this takes place, is a big place. The chances of him finding those scumbags that did this are very, very thin.
0: Well, and he doesn't even know no. who they were. So
1: it would take a lot of magic for him to be able to get his rifle revenge. So he does the next best thing. He goes to Arizona <laughs> on a job, meets you know a rich cowboy type who is like, Hey, I like guns. Do you like guns? And he's like, No. Well, let's go to a gun club and I'll teach you how to shoot. And that's when we see Charles Bronson actually knows how to shoot very well, he just doesn't like guns. When he's done with the job, the rich cowboy gives him a gift of a gun. Beautiful gun. Yeah. Pearl-handled 32 revolver. Not the most powerful gun, but eh, it'll get the job done. Even then, he doesn't jump right into vigilante mode. He has to get pushed towards it. In fact... I always forget how much of this movie is just a character piece drama.
0: Oh, yeah. It's well, and what I said when we were watching it the other night is that Death Wish and its sequels are to First Blood as it is to its sequels. Yes. And they, and pretty much the progression is the same yes. because with First Blood, it is mostly a character piece, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of action. But it's really about that, that one character, John Rambo, and Being what he's to going through. Yeah, And that's the same thing that's true with Death Wish. And then in the sequels, it gets progressively more and more silly. Crazy action. But, and that's the exact same thing here. Yeah, it actually takes a while in Death Wish for it to get to the point where he goes on a rampage... And then, then it becomes kind of like Ms. 45 mm-hmm. in that he never finds the people who actually perpetrated the crime that set him off, but he just goes in, and just becomes a vigilante and. You he know, starts punishing, haha, any, yeah, crime any criminals he comes across.
1: Whenever he hears somebody scream, he goes towards it. And when he finds scumbags doing shitty
0: things to people, He takes care of it. And I like, what I like about this is he gets hurt too. Yeah. You know, he's an, he is just a dude. He's not a superhero, but he is, I fucking love his character. In this film, again, another one that is filmed beautifully. I mean, you can't really say, you can say anything you want, I guess, about Michael Winter. You can say that he never shies away from rape or nudity or, you know, horrible, horrible things. But He does it very stylishly, and his films are beautiful.
1: He's a good director. I always heard he was kind of an asshole, and that's from actors who worked with him. And then, yeah, he does, especially Death Wish 2, which is what we'll be coming to next. We have the unrated version, so it's even more hardcore. It's not like I'm a fainting violent who clutches their pearls and, oh, but... I think you can get your point across without being so gratuitous. And the rape scene in Death Wish 2 really does push the limit, especially if you're watching the unrated version.
0: Yeah, and I honestly... Things like that in films don't typically bother me because it's a film. Yeah. You know, I don't... Things I know... Like, I don't want it to... Ha- I mean, I if it were happening in real life, it'd be a very different story. But I'm watching a movie. I'm very aware that I'm watching a movie and i can you know i deal with that just fine but when his housekeeper in death wish 2 yeah gets brutally it goes and on repeatedly and on i mean we're talking
1: and on like uh, and i spit on your grave yeah. yeah like
0: i spit on your grave levels of repeatedly
1: i get the idea of no i want to show how horrible it is and i want to show how joyful the bad guys are while doing it, just so you know how inhuman and what shitheads they are, so you can justify Charles Bronson wiping them all out. I get that, but I think he could be able to tell the same story without going that much in-depth on it.
0: Well, and yeah, I mean, you could Like I said, just... it doesn't
1: really offend me, but it honestly like
0: it's hard to watch. Yeah, when I was it's, watching
1: it, I was like, damn, this is longer than I remember.
0: No, it is. it was for me, too. And I was like, I don't... And that actually is the one scene, because I saw this originally when I was a kid. And that scene is the one scene that always stuck in my head as being, you know, very powerful and horrific. But it was way worse than I remembered it being. Like, it just is... It's hard to watch, it's very hard to watch, and I, and I have to say too that you don't need to push it that far no. for me to be on his side. I, yeah. you know, what if some dude knocks an old lady down and takes her purse? I'm all about Charles <laughs> Bronson killing him. I don't need to see a 10 minute rape scene, but, but again, anyways. it's you know he's making a point, and and it's you know that's fine. I'm like I'm not offended by it. It just is. Uh, I will give you a warning. It's kind of hard to watch just because it goes on for as long as it does and it's very brutal but that's a second one as for the first movie what do you give it a five so do oh I. yeah easily
1: so now going on to death wish 2 that came out in 1982 so it was what eight years later but it it's was only supposed to be two years later yeah as far as the story goes It's also directed by Michael Winner. This time, Paul Kersey, Charles Bronson's character, was basically kicked out of New York. They didn't arrest him because of political things and all that, but they didn't want him in New York, so he had to leave. Initially, we seen him go to Chicago, but now he's living in LA, and he's back to being a normal guy, or at least trying to. But of course, being the most unlucky son of a bitch ever, we now get Lawrence Fishburne and his gang buddies, who invade his home, rape and murder his housekeeper, and then kidnap his still traumatized
0: daughter. She is just now getting to the point two years later where she can smile and nod at yeah. somebody. Like he is, he's able to take her out to the park and get some ice cream or things like that. But she is. She doesn't talk. I mean, her experience two years ago ruined her. And uh, it, it's kind of unbelievable, really, how ruined she is. Yeah. But, but, you know, okay. But yeah, they kidnap her. And that is a really hard fucking thing to watch yeah. because she does get raped, but it's not like. It's not as over the does. top on no. the housekeeper, but it's still. And it's not brutal. No. I mean, it's. It's, it's, it's very different. It's a, it's a different kind of thing. But at that point, she decides she's had enough. Jumps
1: out a window, lands on a spiked fence. Yeah. And is dead. So naturally, Charles Bronson says, okay, fuck it. Uh, he's already done this before, so there's not so much, you know, searching and all that stuff. There's a little bit where he goes out and chops some wood for a little while. But then he realizes, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this. He gets a gun and he's actually looking for the people who did this to him, because this time he saw them. He was at home when this happened, they beat him over the head of a crowbar, and that wasn't enough to kill him. So he knows what they look like, so he hits the streets looking for him, and if he encounters some various other crime along the way, well, he'll stop in and do what he does, but he's mostly looking for these five scumbags, They're one of those 80s gangs of, you know, interracial, you know, there's a black guy, there's a white guy, there's a Latino, you know, so nobody can be be singled out or anything. And they're all just giggling and joyous in their murdering and raping. Uh, They're all drug heads and just, it's, they're scum of the earth. So, yeah, it's much more action-packed than the previous one, but it does a really good job of staying continuity because the New York detective who found him out in the first movie and told him to get out of town is now sent to look for him in L.A. because New York is afraid. They know he moved to L.A. and now they know there's a vigilante in L.A. and they're like, huh, that's gotta be him. And if he gets caught, he's gonna tell them. ...that he was caught in New York and they didn't arrest him, they just sent him away. And that's going to be bad for them. So, you get this New York cop coming back into the picture, hunting for Paul Kersey. He is still an architect by day and vigilante by night. He now has a new girlfriend. And so he's trying to live his life, but he's also renting a room in the slums which is his murder room where he hides his gun and his hobo outfit and uh, he's one by one stalking these people down and you have some good action scenes I love this scene where the first guy he encounters he's wearing his big ass cross around his neck cause yeah I'm sure he's a Christian and Charles Bronson goes so Do you believe in Jesus? And the scumbag's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I really do. And Charles Bronson's like, well, you're gonna meet him. (laughs) And then bam, bam, bam. (laughs) But yeah, he's much more ready to go. And he's much more competent in his killing. But he's dealing with this gang of shitheads. Plus the New York cops coming for him. Plus he's trying to keep this all hidden from his girlfriend. So yeah, it is. It is a really good movie. I would say it's. I personally think it's equal to the first one. Again, there's a bit of a a rough scene to make it through, and I think it was a bit too rough. But I realize it's a movie, not really doing that to somebody. So uh, it's just funny seeing Lawrence Fishburne being one of the rapists. It's like, oh man. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Morpheus. (laughs) But yeah, it's more of the same. It's more good old vengeance, Charles Bronson doing what he does. And if you like that, I think you'll like this movie. What about you? What, do I rate it? No, what do you think about it?
0: Oh, I love it. I, I, look, I am all about, I mean, I said it like six times on this show already, but I'm all about The Vigilante. I, (sighs) I... I think every neighborhood needs one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I am I'm. know a lot of people are like, Oh, but people don't deserve to die first. Uh, yeah, you kind of fucking do, as far as I'm concerned. If you have no respect for anybody else's life, why should anybody have respect for yours? And that's a hard line, I know, but I just don't care. I... I have no respect for people who prey yeah. on other people. And uh, especially if you're preying on the helpless or the elderly or, you know, fuck you. And anytime Charles Bronson takes one of them out, I'm considering that one for the good guys. Yeah. What do you give this movie? A five. So do I.
1: I think it's really good. I think the pacing's a little bit tighter here. And as long as you can make it through without very gratuitous rape scene and you don't mind vigilante justice in your films I think you'll really like this one we now jump ahead to our last movie which, big surprise is Death Wish 3 from 1985 now there is actually a Death Wish 4 and there might be a Death Wish 5 we don't have them in our collection I'm not a big fan of Well, four, for sure. Five, I can't remember if there's one or not. But if there is, I'm probably not a fan of that either. But, uh, as for Death Wish 3, well, let me just say this. The first Death Wish was made by Paramount. You know, a serious film company. The second one was also made by Paramount. Part 3... We go to Canon Films, baby. (laughs) And so it is so Canon. This movie just goes off the fucking rails. It is crazy. It is silly. Old Chucky Bronson is back in New York. And one of his friends just happens to get killed. As soon as he gets there, it was like the very first day, one of his friends get killed by this gang who controls this whole neighborhood and they are the typical 80s gang i love it again half shirts yeah half shirts Alex leather Winter. yeah spiky hair i mean they all look like they're from the streets of rage video game or something they're all different races they're all different people except for they all paint their foreheads with like three stripes to show that they're part of this gang and they're led by this one main bad guy Who does a pretty good job, but he does come off as a bit of a bitch. He's always talking a big game, but he never does shit. Uh, He'll, like, he knows who's doing this. He knows who Charles Bronson is. He knows where he lives, but he doesn't do anything to stop him. Because I guess he's scared of him. So instead, he picks on little ladies and stuff like that. But here, Charles Bronson just... He is instantly in Punisher mode. There is no waiting. There is no him wondering. He's like, oh, a friend of mine's dead. Time to kill a whole lot of people.
0: Well, and the thing I love about this and Ed Lauder, for once, isn't playing an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) He kind of starts out that way. Yeah, he's kind of an
1: asshole cop,
0: but... But then by the end, you like him. But the cops can't control this area. They are afraid to go into this area. This gang has complete control.
1: It is silly how much control this gang has.
0: Yeah, and he... They're like
1: an occupying army.
0: They are. And it's an all-out war when things actually do come to Yeah, towards the end, it is nuts.
1: You get this gang running through the streets, just firing willy-nilly. You get the poor civilians who, you know, they've been taking all this shit for far too long, but seeing... Charles Bronson kick ass. Now they're all fighting back. And then you get the cops finally rolling into town. Cops are literally driving through the streets in their cop cars, just shooting out the windows at people. (laughs) And there's explosions and helicopters and machine guns. And
0: rocket launchers.
1: And rocket launchers (laughs) and grenades. And It is just crazy. Again, it's very much a canon's film. If you like canon, you will like this film.
0: It's like if Canon made a Kurosawa film. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's just like nuts. It's just... It's, it's crazy, but I, you love to see it, though. You love to see this neighborhood taking their shit yeah. back. Because fuck all you guys. <laughs> we live here. And they're, you know, killing elderly people, taking their money, beating them up. Like, raping, raping women, of yeah. course, because it's Michael Winter, yeah. but... Yeah, I this mean, is
1: another winner film. But I think it's his last Death Wish film.
0: And that would kind of make sense yeah, if the fourth one isn't. I actually good. haven't seen the fourth one, so I don't know. But if it's not as good then and he didn't do it, I guess that makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, it's balls to the wall. <laughs> it's so fun. I, I really do. I love watching him take this shit. You know, like he goes and buys a car. Parks it in front of his apartment building, and his friend is like, "What's the what's the car for?" And he's like, "Oh, that's bait." <laughs> and then he walks outside when some guys are trying to like strip the car, and they're like, "He's like, what's the problem?" And they're like, "We're stealing a car, man. What the fuck does it matter to you?" And he's like, "That's my car. That's my car." And then he shoots him. It's uh, it's good stuff, man. Oh, really yeah. good stuff. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just it is. Your Rambo, First Blood analogy works so well here. Uh, Whereas the first movie is almost thoughtful character study and all that. By the time you get to First Blood and beyond, it's just crazy action. That's what this movie is. Yeah. It just, it goes, goes, goes. Of course he gets another love interest. Of course she has a bad time of it.
0: Yeah, so. moral of all of these is if you ever meet a guy named Paul Kersey... yeah, don't run date him. like hell. Don't be friends with him. Don't date him, and don't be his daughter, because <laughs> you're gonna yeah. something horrible's gonna gonna happen to you. And I actually kind of feel guy. He he feel bad for him. He really is the most unlucky son of a bitch out there. <laughs> you thought Bruce Banner had it bad? <laughs> no, everywhere he goes, someone
1: he knows and likes and or loves is going to die horribly and so he's going to have to take care of it. But yeah, it is just... It's a fun, nonsensical action movie with a hell of a climax. Lots of boobs, lots of blood, lots of guns. Good stuff. So good that I do give it a 4 out of 5. What do you give it?
0: It's another 5. <laughs> well, that's good. I Char- Look, Charles Bronson... He may not be the hero we deserve, but (laughs) he's definitely the hero we need.
1: And I just checked, Death Wish 4 was not directed by Winner, but it is a canon film. So maybe I need to give it another watch.
0: Well, I'd be down, because I've never seen it.
1: Anyways, that's all we got this time.
0: And that means it's time to reveal what our films are for the next episode. Oh, okay. And it's my turn. Yeah, okay. Go for it. To pick the category. So, for our next episode, we're going to be discussing... Creepy Kids.
1: Oh, well, that makes so much sense coming from you.
0: (laughs) I know. Wow. But that means you get to pick first. That's a good one.
1: There are so many good movies to pick from. I'm going to go with one of the OGs. I'm going to go with Who Can Kill a Child?
0: Oh, wow. That is awesome, and I'll tell you why because last night I forget what we were doing. Oh, I was trying to I wanted to watch a movie and I was trying to think of what to watch and or what I felt like watching. Who Can Kill a Child?
1: No, oh, really?
0: Yeah, and I didn't <laughs> we ended up doing, you know, picking something else, but that was the first thing I thought of. Nice. And well,
1: so, I've been wanting to watch that again. There are a lot of good movies with creepy kids in it, but that one is one of my favorites. It is so dark and so messed up, and yet so relatable. Because, you know, the horror is there's these kids doing horrible things, and, you know, yeah, they're doing horrible things, but who can kill a child? I could. I could. You know, if a kid's trying to kill me, I'm going to fuck that kid up. I'm going to tell him, stop. I'm going to tell him, don't do this. You know, put it down, whatever, walk away. But if a kid goes after me, mine, anything like that, I'll fucking straight up murky (laughs) kid.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you put my life in danger, all bets are off.
1: And once the character in this movie gets a machine gun, holy Jesus, it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) If you're sick and twisted like I am. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to go with. Who can kill a child? Excellent.
0: What's your pick? Excellent choice. I'm going to go with The Children from 2012.
1: That was going to be my first choice. Yeah, this
0: is the British film yeah. that takes place at Christmas.
1: I love that movie.
0: And Something is Wrong with the Children.
1: Yeah, well, that's its whole thing. <laughs> I was always thinking of Devil Times 5... Which is not as good as these two, but it's interesting. There's always beware children at play. Mm -hmm. Of course, children of the corn. That's going to be fun.
0: Yep, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. All right, well, as usual, guys, thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Love you. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday weekend. Yeah. And... Be safe out there, and I guess we'll see you next time. Thanks,
1: as always, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you for visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash Salmons. Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music.